You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Friday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Cam Berry and Brooks Childress with me, and we will be live for the full three hours here on this Friday afternoon as we will have a lot of different things to discuss on this Friday. We're going to try to hit on a lot of different things. Uh, We'll start off here in just a few minutes. We'll have some more recruiting updates for everyone and transfer portal updates as Auburn, another key target of theirs, has decommitted from Texas A&M, picking up some crystal balls for Auburn. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. we got to talk some Auburn basketball today as they get set for an important one in Atlanta on Saturday for Holiday Hoops Giving. Auburn and the Indiana Hoosiers coming up at 1 o'clock tomorrow. So we will preview that game, talk a little bit about the Auburn men's basketball team. Team. Also, a couple other things if we have time today, would love to get to. Uh, want to get to a little bit of a baseball free agency update. We have really not been able to hit on that at all over the last few weeks, but want to update uh, where some of the big names are headed, the Shoei Otani stream, uh, sweepstakes, and then what the Braves have been doing or not doing. Uh, and then also want to have, if we have time today, this could also wait for next week. There's been some talk in the National Football League about the MVP race and about uh, it being a quarterback award. Of course, Tyree Kill has had an amazing oh season gosh. for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, so I'd love to talk a little bit about that. And just we've talked in the past about the importance of or lack of importance of the NFL running back and maybe have an opinion discussion at some point on if the wide receiver or the running back is more important in today's game, both pro and and college. So if we have time, we'll get to that. If not, we'll have something for you about that coming up in the near future. So a lot of different things we can hit on on this show today. If you want to give us a phone call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one triple eight nine tiger 9 Of course, if you're looking for the Super 7 in the final day, got Real Town and 5 coming up in the 2A game. That's over on FM Talk 93.9. And then at 7 o'clock tonight, that's Sarah Land and Clay Chalkville's 6A game. Uh, will also be on FM Talk 93.9 to wrap up this year's Super 7 in Tuscaloosa. It's been a lot of fun so far. So, again, you can head over to FM Talk 93.9 if you want to listen uh, to any of the coverage of those games. Uh, and again, a lot to talk about on this Friday edition of Sports Call. Got Army Navy coming up this weekend, last regular season football game of the year, and all that kind of good stuff. Also, we'll try to reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. So, again, a lot we could talk about here 
on this Friday edition of the show. Ryan, Brooks, and Cam with you here on this Friday. Brooks, we'll start with you. How are you today, good sir? I am doing great. It is a great Friday leading into a great another great sports weekend uh, here in uh, in our world. And so it's, uh, it's, it's always fun to be on Sports Call on a Friday. Um, not a lot of college football to talk about, as, as you were mentioning. The, the only game this weekend is, well, you had some FCS playoff stuff, but uh, the only big game is the, uh, the Army-Navy game coming up tomorrow, which is always a fun uh, fun game where kind of the, the Division One college football steps aside for a weekend and lets, uh, lets Army and Navy have their, their day, and it, it's always a great game to watch. Um, but, yeah. It's uh, it's it's a uh, it's shaping up to be a good weekend. Shout out to uh, team in our listening area, Montgomery Catholic, for uh, clinching a state title a little bit earlier yeah. in that 4A. Uh, and then uh, so our, currently, teams in our listening area that made it to Tuscaloosa are two and zero, with Central Phoenix City winning the other night, and Montgomery Catholic winning earlier today. Real Town just about to get started against Fife over on in the 2A game. So good luck to them. I I don't think there's anybody. Uh, in Realtown listening to us right now because I think they're all in Tuscaloosa right now. I think the entire community of Realtown went up there uh, for for this one. And so it is a, it's a it's a big day for the Rebels to go up against a team like Fife and hopefully they're coming away with the state title here in a couple hours. But other than that, it's a great day to be on Sports Call. I can't wait to talk to, about all the uh, all the stuff and, and can't wait to get to our callers as well. And then Cam Berry, how are you on this Friday? I'm doing great. It's a, uh, it's a fun Friday, right? To talk about a whole slew of things and yeah, again, like Brooks said, congratulations to Montgomery Catholic. Congratulations to uh, Central Phoenix City, um, both winning winning their state titles. Um, and, and, yeah, ready to watch some real town and see what they can do. And uh, hopefully they win as well. So that'll be uh, fun fun to kind of watch as we're kind of watching and hear as the show's going on. And, um, yeah, and then the, the MVP talk that, that hopefully we'll be able to get into. I'd love to definitely uh, dive into that discussion. Uh, it's definitely been a, a weird year. There's, I, In my opinion, there's no clear favorite as to who should get it, and uh, this definitely opens up the debate for a different position that could potentially earn the earn the award. Uh, I think if this were if there were ever a year to really do it, I think this would be it. Um, just because of there again, I, I just it, it could it tends to be a quarterback position, but it is pretty wide open. There's nobody truly dominant uh, at the position. So yeah, should uh, should be interesting to talk about, and then talk a little bit of Auburn basketball and a. A great game uh, in Atlanta uh, against Indiana, so uh, definitely ready to chat about that. So I'm doing great. Um, how are you doing, Ryan? Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, I'm doing well, and uh, I, I certainly don't love that I don't have another Florida trip coming up this weekend because those are always fun. But uh, I do have a mini trip uh, with Brooks because we are going up to Atlanta. Oh, nice. Got approved for holiday hoopsgiving, so we will be going up there. I... I didn't. I don't. I, oh. I never got the email back like I was telling uh-huh. you guys. So I don't know, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, I appreciate it. You're still going up to the ATL, yeah, though, right? Yeah, I, maybe I'll buy tickets. I don't know. You, uh, you could. Why not? Uh, and also, Falcons play a big game Falcons on Sunday, so there's a lot, a lot, lot sports wise you could do. That's uh, this fair. Weekend, I, for sure. I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll, we'll brainstorm that over the next 24 hours. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing well, man, and I appreciate you asking. Uh, also doing well is Auburn football as they continue to recruit up a storm. Uh, they continue to try to make moves there uh, with adding to what is the 10th or 11th place class, depending on where you're looking at right now. And they got some more news today. This is a guy that I talked about after you went through Cam Coleman. And uh, and I know there's a lot of talk about Ryan Williams, but the next guy uh, tiered-wise of someone that we've been talking about uh, leading up to this week, of course, I know you could add K.J. Bolden to that list now, was for me 
uh, Cohen Eccles, who was a four-star offensive lineman uh, who had been uh, committed to Texas A&M for a, a reasonable period of time. Well, he officially decommitted uh, from Texas A&M today. He did not go ahead and flip. Of course, Cam Coleman kind of had the instantaneous flip and then go to Auburn type of thing. Uh, but that that was just a decommitment today. However, there have been three crystal balls in the last hour from Cole Pinkston, Jeffrey Lee, and by an on-three national recruiting analyst, Sam Spiegelman, all putting crystal balls in for Cohen Eccles to go to Auburn. So that would be another uh, – important get for the tigers again i'm not saying that has happened yet because again these are just crystal balls and crystal balls uh are not always clear but i i think that uh, there is good momentum for Eccles to join auburn if you look on the on three recruiting prediction machine it's 96.7 percent uh for auburn to land Eccles again Eccles credentials he is a four-star offensive lineman, number 217 nationally in the industry rankings, as high as number 197 on 247, number 14 interior offensive line on the industry rankings, and again on 247, he's all the way up to the number 9, 6'3", 285 out of Katy, Texas. Again, had been committed to A&M. There had been also a few crystal balls in the past when he did make that commitment to Texas Tech, but again, all signs pointing heavily to the big man from the state of Texas to go to Auburn. This would be the second offensive lineman commit. Of course, DeAndre Carter, the other one. DeAndre Carter even tweeting at Cohen Eccles about an hour ago on Twitter saying, come home with an eagle uh, emoji. So uh, momentum continues for Auburn on both sides of the ball. And when you're looking at the class, we've talked about other things to add. They're certainly going hard at K.J. Bolden. That is going to be down to the wire. Uh, I think that, uh, that that we'll see on that. There's also a report that L.J. McCary, uh, a five-star defensive lineman that's committed to Florida right now, is going to take visits to Florida State and to Auburn this weekend. So the Tigers will see what all of this big hodgepodge of huge recruits that they can land, but they've got their hands in a lot of different pots right now in the recruiting world. And again, the Cohen Eccles bit looking pretty good. Uh, to, to be able to land him if you're Auburn. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's a position that's really in need. We, we talked with uh, Cole Pinkston, it was either last week or the week before, about uh, the recruiting efforts here for, for uh, Hugh Freeze uh, coming down the stretch here before the first signing day uh, for, for football here in about a week or so. Uh, and he said, you know, you, you look at it, that Carter's the only offensive lineman they have in the 2024 class. you got to fill that out. Um, and, and that's a position that they've been, you know, hitting hard, trying to get, especially with Eccles, trying to get that flip back over. Uh, but, you know, you look at it, you, you still got some work to do there. Even if you get Eccles, that's a great get, phenomenal get. That's still only two offensive linemen in the class. So you, you've got to continue to work on that and continue to see uh, try to get um, uh, some more uh, high school guys coming into that class. And mainly, and the, the, the work's really cut out for them because Hugh Freeze, I, I believe at his last press conference after post-Iron Bowl, he said they were looking to sign their entire class 
at December. Like they wanted to sign and, and then everything else be focused on the portal after that. But he wanted, he, he said their, their goal was to get the entire 2024 class signed in December. Uh, and so that's a, that's a big, big get now. If you, if you can flip Eccles uh, or if you can now, now pull in Eccles, like uh, since he decommitted, you now pull in Eccles and then kind of build momentum off of that with that offensive line uh, that, that can be uh, really, really big for this, uh, for this Hugh freeze team, uh, this coaching staff as they head toward 2024 and a very pivotal year for them. Yeah, absolutely. A highly necessary pickup. I mean, Brooks outlined everything that, um, you know, who Hugh Freeze is trying to do and you got to bolster up the offensive line. That's where it start starts. It always starts in the, in the trenches um, and, and getting a, a, a talent like Eccles in the room and um, adding to that, it, it, adding to that class more and more in 2024 is absolutely crucial. And, uh, uh, will help with his building blocks uh, going forward um, with with what he's got going on. Yeah, and of course, as we've noted earlier this week, Auburn's still targeting the <laughs> likes of K.J. Bolden, uh, who would again be uh, a, a huge deal from a defensive backfield that did uh, have to lose some players. I mean, there were just guys that were out of eligibility that were really successful players, a couple going to the Senior Bowl for Auburn. So, of course, that part of it, uh, was always going to be a need, so I don't know if uh, if there will be uh, a, a good shot at a flip there. But certainly Auburn is doing a lot of work on KJ Bolden, uh, and usually you don't do that kind of work on a kid with 10, 12 days before signing day, unless you've got a got a puncher shot or better. Of course, right. they've already landed Laquan Robinson, who is the uh, the JUCO safety. Um, formerly out of Greenville, Alabama, so they they got something there, but it. They certainly would like to, to add one or two more if they could. They do have a few corners, obviously, committed as well. And then another another X factor at the end of this thing, where L.J. McRae, uh, who is right now uh, a huge commit for Florida Auburn, already flipped one in Jamonte Waller, but McRae is a five-star defensive lineman that's the number 22 player in the class. Uh, if you're on three, that's the industry ranking. The on three ranking has him as the number three player in the class. Interestingly enough, Sometimes we talk about huge evaluation differences. He's third on on three, sixth in the country on 247, 23rd on ESPN. He's 136 on Rivals. I don't know where Rivals I don't know what Rivals uh, has going on, man. Well, the, well I mean, I, I went through some of these earlier to see if it was just Rivals. And Rivals does have, because I know Steve brought up, he thought Rivals always slights Auburn. And I, I've actually found several Auburn players where Rivals actually has – is the highest of the four, yeah. But but there's there is a couple outliers for sure with with uh, with this kind of discrepancy yeah. is is interesting because Very. you go from a top 20, 25 player in the class to one thirty six, and you're talking about like from a dude to okay solid get. Uh, but nevertheless, he is somebody that is committed to Florida. Florida is having leakage uh, both with their players and. Their recruits, well, again, like I said, Waller flipping to Auburn yesterday. Trevor Etienne yeah, I saw that. hit the That's portal. Big. That is a very big loss for them. He was a very successful running back. We'll see uh, where he ends up. But uh, McCray is visiting FSU this weekend and then Auburn this weekend. And oh, so, man. again, they're trying to get in on him. And of course, Auburn has – Two defensive linemen committed, but they're both three-star guys. Malik Blockton and TJ Lindsay, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, so they could stand to get a little bit better there too. And again, it just it. I, I'm doing a lot of recruiting coverage this year because 
it's almost like a makeup for lost time because <laughs> last right. year's recruiting coverage would have been okay. There's the number 896 player uh, from the state of Mississippi, right, right. and he's looking at Auburn or Southern Miss. Let's see where he goes. Uh, and so th- this situation is one where Auburn is very involved uh, in these guys. And obviously you won't win all these battles, and they might not be able to flip some of these guys. But I am optimistic and feel pretty good about Eccles. And, again, that alone will definitely put the class in the top ten in all services. And then, Lord forbid, they do flip one of these five-star defenders. I know McCray's the most recent one, probably less likely than Bolden. But if you either one, Bolden or McCray, then all of a sudden you're jumping up into the five, six, seven range of the class. And that would be uh, one of the best Auburn classes in quite some time. We're going to head to our first timeout of the show today. When we come back, we have a lot of other things to talk about. We'll talk about some Auburn basketball, again, some MLB free agency, some NFL stuff, more college football stuff, all ahead on this Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday afternoon. Just taught some Auburn football recruiting. Again, continues to be really solid, good news to talk about. And hopefully that will continue as signing day nears about 12 days away from signing day. And other important things on the calendar in December, obviously the bowl game will come up against Maryland. We'll talk about that as it gets closer in bowl season, planning something fun for next Friday's show, uh, revolving around bowl season and that sort of thing. But even next week with the release of the 2024 schedule coming out, and if you uh, have seen some of the leaks, they have been more Alabama, Georgia, Texas related. Uh, We've tried to put a couple things together here and there. Uh, for with Auburn schedule, just depending on some of those teams, but uh, the the full SEC schedule will be released next week, so we'll have something else to digest there and see the order. Of course, we know the teams, just don't know the order, and the order matters. I mean, sometimes there are gauntlets. Of course, this year for Auburn, uh, had the opportunity to play four really tough teams in a row, lost four in a row, rebounded with three in a row, and then had the whoops against New Mexico State. But uh, again. That was kind of set up to where you knew there was one stretch where you were going to have to fight tooth and nail for anything, and then you had a stretch where you knew you had an opportunity. Kind of both things played out that way for Auburn, so we'll see the order of things next week. Let's talk a little basketball right now, though, 
uh, as Auburn basketball gets set for a very interesting game tomorrow in Atlanta. They've been trying to play these neutral site games uh, often. Of course, last year they played Hoopsgiving in Atlanta. They played uh, a Memphis team that had some really good guards, and Memphis was able to win that game in Atlanta. This team, however, that Auburn will face tomorrow in Indiana is far different in their makeup. They yeah. do not shoot threes. They are not good at it. They don't try to be good at it. They have some big players that they like to focus on. Uh, and so far, guys, Indiana's 7-1 on the year. So what do you think about this matchup for the Tigers? Yeah, going to be a big matchup for really Janai Broom going up against uh, Oregon transfer Khalil Ware. Um, who averages 17.1 points per game, 9.4 rebounds. So it's going to be a battle of big men, in all honesty. The, I mean, both of the, these guys, Janai Broom and, and Khalil Ware, leading uh, their their teams in points per game. So uh, they, it's going to be a, a big matchup down there. Janai is going to have to uh, – He's uh, oddly enough, he doesn't have the size advantage this time around, Khalil Ware being a seven-footer. Uh, so he's going he's gonna to have some challenges ahead, uh, ahead for him. So he's going to really have to buckle down – Stay out of foul trouble, which is going to be big, uh, huge necessity for him, and uh, and play disciplined defense and uh, be able to, um, you know, get, get to his spots. I think he'll be able to score, not relatively easily, but I think he will still be able to score. But again, it's the foul trouble. It's the it's the things on defense that's going to be something that's absolutely necessary. And and Indiana doesn't defend the three relatively well either. Uh, so if you're Auburn, you want to be able to capitalize on on having the uh, the three point shooting ability that you can uh, that you can uh, that you can make these threes. I know you know Auburn hasn't been shooting well from three as of late. Uh, they're combined like five from forty three uh, from three over the last two games. So uh, really rough shooting from three. Uh, so you want to be able to get back to shooting efficiently. Uh, Aiden Holloway want to want to be able to get him back into the fold of things, uh, get him comfortable again, and and get him to to playing to his usual uh usual tempo and uh, i think you'll be okay but uh you know this is a team that likes to go to the inside like you said ryan they don't really shoot the three very well um and so that should play to auburn's favor uh but again just got to stay out of uh got to stay out of uh foul trouble got to stay disciplined yeah, I think you know you you touched on it there. I think two things that Auburn needs to get going here, uh, two players that Auburn needs to get going here, especially going toward uh, conference season here in a few weeks. Uh, I, I think that you need Aiden Holloway to get back to what he was doing at the beginning of the year. He needs to come out of this little slump. It feels like a couple teams have gotten the the film on him, and you know Bruce Pearl, uh, you know mentioned it uh, that the the film is out on Auburn now, and so it it feels like you know you, you need to start adjusting some things get Aiden Holloway back into a spot where he can uh can uh, can play at, at his top level and then a guy that uh, really hasn't gotten it going much this year is Denver Jones uh I know Steve brought him up on Monday's show uh, about his uh his performance so far this year and you know you toss it up a little bit uh, uh, to you know kind of being uh, a guy that they that Bruce Pearl talked about they were working on his complete game over the summer and in the offseason uh he was a guy that came in and the Tigers started to, to move him around. Bruce Pearl said, you're not going to recognize his game. Uh, well, unfortunately, we don't recognize his game right now, but it's not for the good reasons. It is, it's, he's not scoring, uh, and he's not, uh, he's, he's not producing like you thought he would when you, you brought him in. So you got to get him out of this little funk. You need a, you need a couple shots of, for him to go down and, and just get that confidence back into him and, and let him get going here for the Tigers. Um, but, you know, you look at both of these teams on Saturday – 
Both are very similar. Uh, they're, they're both scoring around the mid to upper 70s. They're both giving up around the mid to upper 60s in points. And so it, it's going to be it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup with uh, with these two. The the, uh, the the Hoosiers are into conference play, so you know basketball is is a is a sport where you know we, we've talked about anybody can win on any, any given day. Uh, but you have to wonder if getting getting into that gear of conference play may have knocked uh, uh, may have uh, maybe something that Auburn can take advantage of, where they're starting to you know get into the rhythm of conference play, and then all of a sudden you got to go back out of conference for Indiana. Uh, Auburn needs a rebound game though they they went up to app state uh tough place to play it, it was uh it was not their day they they couldn't get the win up there you got to get back into this you, know, you look at i think auburn this is gonna be the fourth holiday hoops giving auburn has played in they've won two and lost one they beat memphis beat nebraska and then they lost to memphis last year uh up there and so it's a, it's in a very important game for them to get back on track, especially when you look at what's coming up here. You got another neutral site game next week, and then you've got that huge matchup inside Neville Arena with uh, the likes of USC uh, a week from Sunday. Yeah. So when you're looking at this Indiana team, again to put some numbers behind it, this team shoots 25.8 percent from three. Uh, which is not good. They have three guys shooting under 20% from three that do take at least a couple. So, again, that is not something they do. If Indiana ends up going 9 of 18 from three, then that is going to be problematic for Auburn because Indiana does not usually do that. Uh, They do play down low. They have a uh, seven-footer in Kyle Ware uh, who's averaging basically 17 and 9, nearly a double-double. He is going to be a worthy matchup for Janai Broom. He's going to be just a little bit bigger than Janai Broom. So that's going to be interesting to see how Broom fights for rebounding position uh, against him. And Indiana on the season, as Brooks mentioned, already into conference play a couple games, beat Maryland, beat Michigan on the road. Uh, just kind of the nature of college basketball. Some conferences start with a game or two to open the month of December. Uh, their only loss on the year is by 20 points, but it's to UConn. And if you've watched UConn at all this year, you know that they are very good, awesome again. <laughs> They're absolutely going to have a chance uh, to go back to the Final Four, even with some different guys than they had last year. They uh, beat North Carolina pretty thoroughly, who looks pretty good themselves. They beat them in Madison Square Garden earlier this week. So UConn looks all the world like a great team again. So I can certainly excuse that if you're Indiana. So this is going to be a tough game for Auburn, and, and they kind of need this one. I mean, they, they with that loss to App State, I know it could end up a quad one loss. I think it is for the moment. I don't know if you can bank on App State playing at that level all year long, uh, and, and it's possible that it will fall out of that. And even just thinking about, uh, I mean, just with, with that aside, Knowing you've got Indiana and USC back-to-back games, you could go on a losing streak if this turns south on you. And again, yeah. they, they they need to shake off the the shooting slump because after about five games, which is probably still premature on my part, I declared this team going to be a better shooting team than last year's team. Well, these last two games have been so bad that Auburn is, in fact, only shooting 29% from three now, which is absolutely awful. Uh, And and so they are now needing to prove. They're back in that stage of they need to prove that they can shoot better than this. They're at 29.5%. The leader in shooting there is Trey Donaldson at 43%. And then you got Denver Jones, his second on the team at 36.5%. But even though you know, most would say that he's 
not been nearly as productive as, as one would have thought coming into this year. So, again, uh, you are struggling to shoot the basketball right now. We know the free throw woes exist, especially with the big uh, of Janai Broom. The team's shooting 69%. He's shooting 51%. And so I, I think that this, to me, uh, I, it's not always about this. And I thought the Virginia Tech game was a good sign because they were able to win without shooting well. But if you're going to shoot that poorly all year long, then I think that at some point uh, you're going to really handicap your potential. And you might be able to win certain games in certain situations. But Auburn, to me, under Bruce Pearl, is never going to find its ceiling on a team that's not a great three-point team. And there are other teams that don't need that. There are teams that play great defense that have their identity that way or have great big men and their identities. That way I'm not saying that you absolutely have to shoot in all circumstances well to go far, but in this very offensive game that basketball has become, really most sports have become, uh, and knowing Bruce Pearl's style and that half-court offense sometimes is more problematic, like, yes, I think that they've got to shoot better or they're just not going to have the ceiling that we thought they would. So, to me, it's not it's not everything for one particular game, but for this game, they need to shoot well. Period. End of discussion. Yeah, no especially who. against a team that can't defend the three well. Yeah, and they're yeah, and that's another point not brought up. Indiana is like in the three hundred shooting them, and they're in the two hundreds or something defending it. I mean, so they 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 don't do anything that well. Outside uh, beyond the arc. Yeah, relatively yeah. relatively speaking, out there. So. That's a, a, a place that Auburn needs to have an advantage. That's why they need Aiden Hallway to play better. They Look, Trey Dallas has been giving them something. I know I, – I heard – He's such an I, underrated three-point shooter. Sure, so far, certainly. I, I heard Tom not love his performance for this past weekend, but he was like 5 of 12 from Dude, the field and 40% from three. So I'm like, I don't know what – what you're wanting him to do because that's a good college guard numbers. Yes. But he was Auburn's uh, second leading score on Sunday. Yeah. So I, I I heard him say that earlier. I'm like, if you get that from Trey, Trey Donaldson every day, that's going to put you in position. What you really need is more Aiden. from Ain Hallway. Yes. Absolutely. And a little more from Denver Jones. And th- those other guards um, are played well below what their standard is and, and needs to be. So they do need from Denver Jones more. Uh, it's been interesting to see, again, just talking about everyone struggling from three, a guy I thought would shoot the three very well that's shooting free throws well uh, is Chad Baker-Mazzara, who is only 23% from three. I don't know if the wrist injury is bothering him a little yeah. bit because he's had to have that taped. <clears throat> shooting 87% from the foul line, that is not a small number for college no. basketball. There are very few that shoot in the mid to upper 80s. And so he's doing a good job there, but I'd love to see that perimeter stroke actually get going again there's just a lot of guys that i think there's more out there to give uh but but again they need to put this together that's we can talk about the rebounding and there's other parts that may very well determine this game but i think they really need to see some shots go through the basket uh, and especially away from their home gym uh just because if they don't now then we're going to start doing the is this just a different version of last year's team and I still like a lot of things more so far. I think there's still the potentials there. But, again, if they keep stacking, shooting god-awful 15% from three or 12%, whatever it was, 
there's only so much you can do as a team if you're going to shoot. And I know it wouldn't be that bad, but if you're going to shoot in the 20s as a percentage for the year, there's only so you much can you can do, do with that. Yeah. And, and Auburn's not built. As good as Janai Broom is, they're not built to just pound everything down low, slow the game up, and win 60 to 57. They're not built that they're way. They're an outside-in team. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, again, this is a, a big matchup for Broom, and that's true, and big matchup for even Cardwell to come in because, as you guys said, foul trouble is going to matter. And when you've got two bigs, six nine or bigger, that average 14, 15 points more like they do, they've got multiple options down there. Auburn needs multiple ways to counter with that. Uh, and Cardwell's given better bench minutes this year than I feel like he did most of last year. So that's been good news. But uh, how they call the game will matter because for as deep as Auburn is in general, again, the one thing we talked about that they did not add much to was the, the, yep. the front court there and was the ability to have another big guy uh, protect rim or or be a, a, a an ability to switch between four and five and that sort of thing. So very interesting game. We'll talk a little bit more about it a little bit later in the show. But again, I think a game that Auburn does uh, need to find a way to win, even though it is uh, a really tough opponent to beat. We're going to take our next time out of the show back with more sports call right after this. Call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. Now back to the multi time Abbey Award winning sports call. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooke Childress, Cam Berry with you here on this Friday. I want to talk something we haven't talked much about uh, as the end of the college football season has arrived, and we're obviously winding a lot of that down, although also talking a lot of portal and recruiting. But this is also baseball's offseason, and this has been – a rather important offseason, a, a bigger than usual offseason for baseball because the league's best player is a free agent in Shohei Otani. And also, there has been a huge trade involving the Yankees. Uh, the Braves have been a little quiet. They have made a trade or two, uh, but, but not doing anything big money wise in free agency. And we never really got around to talking about what the needs were for Atlanta, but this is kind of shaping out. We just had winter meetings and all that. Uh, and so looking at it, the Braves have pretty much only – they acquired Jared Kelenic from the Mariners, who was once a top prospect for them, played a couple big league seasons, still a young guy. He is clearly going to compete in left field with Vaughn Grissom 
as Eddie Rosario, not a part of the future plans, wondered if they would use free agent money in left field. They're obviously not. They're going the young route, wanting to develop somebody else uh, with both Grissom and, and Kellenick. Uh, they did go with a relief pitcher and Aaron Bummer in a trade, getting rid of the guys like Soroka and Wright that they were fringe 40-man players at this point, which were interesting decisions, but decisions they made nevertheless. And so that's kind of been it so far for the Braves. Um, I know that people love to jokingly say, oh, yeah, Shohei Otani. I'm going to break the news. Shohei Otani's not going to be brave. They're not going to spend that kind of money. How dare you it's, break my heart? It's not going to happen. <laughs> How See, dare you? It's not going to happen. And if if you know and love the Braves, you knew it was ever going to happen. Uh, that's not how they roll. Brooks, why does he want to rain on my parade? It, it's better, you know, Cam. I want him. Cam, it, it's better to accept your fate. As I accepted my fate at the beginning of the year that Mac Jones was going to be my quarterback. <laughs> and just expect disappointment. And then you're not disappointed. Oh. So, anyway, uh, with all that being said, okay, the the couple hot-button issues for the Braves, start with them, and then we'll get to Otani. It, Signing Otani, <laughs> number one. Boom. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, the couple hot-button issues are, will they decide for another starting pitcher or not? And is that free agency? Is that trade? It's almost too late in the game to be a major free agent because a couple of the big ones, like Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray, already signed. I think a lot of right. people, including myself, was definitely more of the opinion that I could have seen something like Sonny Gray. There is a trade rumor involving Dylan Cease, who is a Chicago White Sox, would have an extra year of control than Free does. But, again, what you'd have to give up would be interesting and maybe uncomfortable for what you're getting. So... Are you okay with the Braves being a little bit more on the conservative side of things? Uh, and again, I'm going to assume that Otani money is not available, so you, we can't just say, yes, they should have signed Otani. Uh, I'm sure the Tampa Rays would have loved to sign Shohei Otani. Uh, he <laughs> would have been their entire payroll, so some teams just can't do it. Uh, but within the realm of reason, are you okay with what the Braves have done? What would you have done differently? And what would you do from this point going forward? Um, I, I, uh, I, I'm not as proficient in my baseball, uh, knowledge. I would have liked to have seen the Otani move happen. Obviously you're right. You know, the, they don't spend like the Braves just don't spend like that. They just don't. Uh, so it, it, it's definitely, uh, not something that, um, is, is too realistic. I like the move for cease, um, because of the control that he, he will, he'll be able to have. And, um, he is a quality starting pitcher. And so I, I, I think you still need to add that one to the rotation. I was, I was, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. I was also of the opinion that the Braves were going to, um, definitely make a push for gray. And there was word that they did, but then he chose to sign with, um, whoever he ended up signing with. And, um, uh, instead, so the Braves were in on him, uh, just weren't able to close the deal. So, you know, things like that happen, you know, when players have options, it is what it is. Um, I like the move at left field um, with, with uh, Kalenic, you said? Jared Kalenic. Kalenic. Uh, sorry, just learning to pronounce names. Uh, and I like the competition with Vaughn Grissom. Uh, I think Vaughn would, would, would be fine in left field, so I could certainly see that. Um, and so that'll be a good little competition there between those two guys. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm fine with the moves that have been made so far. Um, you know, not some some low risk, high reward moves with which which I mean speaks Anthopolis to a T. In all honesty, with how he moves, um, doesn't you know doesn't swing way way too big, um, but but you know gets the guys that he knows that will be quality players. And uh, the clinic move was, was something that, you know, just reading on Twitter and things like that, that a lot of people are like, yeah, that's a great move, uh, a, a very quality move. So um, I like what Anthopolis has done so far. Otani. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's what I, I, I think. It, it, the Braves at this point, um, I, I still think you need, you know, starting pitching right now if, if for free agency. But – I feel like because you are you, you know you've you've got the option with uh, with Charlie Morton you're bringing him back next year uh, and and so you you got kind of a veteran guy there um, and I, you know you, you really what you really need uh, and I, I say this the the lineup is phenomenal we know that we saw it last year. Uh, I think the big thing here for at least for starting pitching is I think you could go out. And there's still quite a few uh, starting pitchers out there that are that are free agents that are not you know those those blockbuster top line guys, but they're good. They're usable guys. They're they're you know middle of the rotation uh, guys that you can go out and you can sign that can make a difference in your in your pitching next year. And I think that's a, that's that's what you need to look for. You need to look for stability at pitch in in the pitching staff. You look to uh, try to to get a guy in that uh, that's been in the league for a little bit. Maybe they've already gotten their, you know, their their big injury out of the way if they've had one. Um, but uh, somebody that you can kind of, you know, come in, depend on that's going to eat innings, uh, come in and and be a, a part of that rotation that's going to be kind of a, a stable guy in uh, in, in the rotation that's that's uh, you don't you know you not necessarily need. I think the the with the lineup that you've got, you don't necessarily need a a home run uh, starting pitcher, a guy that is, you know, uh, like an Aaron Nola or somebody. Although it would be nice uh, to if you, you were able to get him. Uh, but I, I think a middle-of-the-order guy to come in um, and it, it's uh, to, to kind of solidify that, ro- that that starting rotation because, you know, you've seen it in the past few years, and we I, I think we've talked about it ad nauseum. That's one of the things is the Braves have always had a, a, at least a pretty decent lineup in, in batting, and it's just been injuries that have hit the pitching staff uh, at bad times that have kind of kind of uh, forced things off the rails. Now, this past postseason, it was the hitting just went cold, and, and you can't, you know, at, at some point you, there's not a lot you can do about that if you can't uh, get, you know, get the, the bats going. But uh, a, a guy to come in and and kind of help solidify that starting rotation that's, you know, of a, a, a decent starter, that's what I'd say. Yeah, so maybe like another version of Charlie Morton, basically. Yeah. Like number three type of starter maybe is good in high leverage situations. I, and again, that would be what they'd be looking at at this point because even Aguado Rodriguez uh, signed already. Gray did go to the Cardinals. Uh, so, so Nola back to the Phillies. So those high-end guys, which I, I think the Braves, if you look at it, and could be wrong, I think given the recent history, they're just a little bit more skittish to pay the pitchers than the hitters. They did pay Strider, to be fair. 
But at any moment, they could have extended Max Free in the last couple of years. They haven't. He's going to hit free agency in 2024. And I think the, I think kind of the, the, the belief is that he will walk. I think the belief is that this will be Freed's last year. We'll see what he commands, what the, what the desires of his heart will be, and what the Braves will, will offer. But I, I think you read in between the lines that Freed's a guy that they're just not going to overpay for, even though he's been awesome for them. Uh, but the, that's kind of been the Braves uh, with, with some of these guys, and so they did not. They have not extended him at any point. They did not give a big deal to Soroka after he got off to a really good start. They did not give a deal to Kyle Wright after he had a big twenty win season last year, two years ago. Uh, they they have a clearly higher hesitation, as I believe they should, to pay these pitchers. It's just so fickle with these injuries and. I, I think that the realization of how just how likely it is that you lose a starting pitcher for an entire season at some point in their career, regardless on if it does affect the remainder of their career or if it happens again, like if you're a starting pitcher, if you're any pitcher, like Tommy John's a Colin, like the the numbers are uncomfortably high for that, so. Uh, you do recover from them at a very high rate now, but A, it's still not foolproof, and B, you do it twice, and then that is still a different ball game. and a lot of these pitchers are getting hurt so many times, they've already had one before they get to the pros. So then the one they get in the pros is the second one. So anyway, the Braves have been more skittish on that. So I think that it, I guess it makes sense when talking about it aloud that they did not ultimately win a bidding award with any of these top free agents because I just think that they just don't subscribe to long-term lucrative deals for for pitchers. I, I just don't think that's that's in the motto like it is for the for the hitters. Uh, I think that for them, what we're looking at now is no, I'm not overly interested in what I'm going to have to give up to get Dylan Cease. He had a Cy Young caliber year two years ago and a low twos ERA. The rest of his seasons, high threes, low fours, mid fours. You know, that suggests that maybe it needs a change of scenery. If he does, maybe he will be elite, but also that he could end up being a number three starter reliably. Okay, that's fair. Like, you get a, a top five starter out of him. But what is Chicago asking? Are they asking for the return of an ace-level pitcher or a middle-of-the-rotation type of pitcher? So that's what I would want to know before pulling any sort of trigger there. The Braves' farm system, remember, is already pretty shallow. Uh, they have depleted that in in terms of just having everyone come to the surface for the most part. They've done one or two trades, but for the most part, it was, hey, okay, Acuna came up and Albies came up and, and Michael Harris came up and then some guys didn't work out. Christian Pache didn't work out. Uh, you know, and, and the list could go on and on. And they traded Langoliers, you know, the, the Olsen trade. all And just, again, I don't have to go through every single one, but the – we're just now getting to the point where the Braves are are now starting to build back up the pool a little bit. So I think that uh, they need to be smart if they're going to make uh, a a pretty decent sized trade and not give away their top guys if they are, because I think that the reality is we're talking about a team that won 100 games last year that just had the worst four game stretch of maybe their entire season at the wrong time. This is a really good team positioned to continue to be a really good team, and usually really good teams don't need huge adjustments. And so I think we've fallen in the trap because there were big free agents that surely one of them would come to Atlanta. The Braves would keep swinging big, swinging big. But the reality is they're in a position where they don't really need to swing big. If you look at the 162-game picture, they're just trying to figure out that 
three out of five picture there towards the end of the season. But uh, th- this team is going to always hit. That's that's who they've got for a long period of time. They still have their ace, or at least for this year of Freed. They still have other reliable guys like Strider and Morton. Uh, so we'll see uh, how it goes out. But uh, maybe there still is a move or two left on the horizon for the Braves. We are out of time. For our number one, when we come back, we will have some more football talk coming up. Never got to Otani, so we might uh, circle back to that at some point. Uh, also coming up at hour number two, we will reveal Sports Calls Player of the Week. And a little bit later, plan on having a NFL discussion and debate as well. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free, one 888 9 Sports Call returns after this timeout. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday. And a little bit sadder of a Friday because we don't have a plethora of college football games to preview. We do have the Army-Navy game coming up tomorrow, uh, but uh, it's going to be about a week or so before we start getting to all the bowl games and that sort of thing. So, uh, kind of, uh, it, it gets a little bit uh, more dreary this time of year, and uh, the sun's not out as much, and it feels that way because of the lack of college football. We do progress through the NFL season; still got four or five more weeks, four or five more games there for everybody. Uh, but uh, we are officially at the end of the regular season once this Army Navy game ends. Of course, we've already had the conference title games. There is the Heisman uh, ceremony coming up on Saturday. Uh, I guess we could talk about that for just a moment, guys. Of course, four guys going there, Marvin Harrison Jr., the lone non-quarterback, but then Michael Penix, Bo Nix, and Jaden Daniels. Who would you vote and in what order? Um, I will vote. My my vote has changed. It's, it's shifted. 
It is. Oh man, that's a that's a big run. Anyway, my change. Uh, it, it, I think I'm gonna go Jaden Daniels at one. Um, Bo Nix at two. Michael Penix at three, and Marvin Harrison's just there to hang out. Honestly, I, yeah. I here's a non-quarterback. Yeah, here's a non-quarterback. Literally, <laughs> it was gonna be Brock Bowers, but then he got injured. Yeah, so right. here's Marvin Harrison. Here's Marvin Harrison. Exactly. So, uh, that being said. Uh, yeah, I, that that's who I've got winning the Heisman. Uh, J- Jaden Daniels just been absolutely just so outstanding, um, and and uh, putting up tons of rushing yards and and uh, you know just tons and tons of offense. Things responsible for forty touchdowns and um, uh, four only four interceptions. So he's just a phenomenal uh, season for him. So I, I think he's been the most outstanding player. Um, the way that you have have kind of outlined it, Ryan, over the last you know month or so when talking about the Heisman really uh, kind of resonated with me as well. I still thought it was Bo Nix for a while uh, towards the end there, just because you know he was the best player on the on one of the better teams uh, playing uh, playing for a playoff spot, um, and he, he put up some ridiculous numbers as well. But uh, what Jane Daniels is doing, just I mean, straight up cannot be ignored. Uh, and and I think you know over the last month, month and a half, uh, really month of the season, I'd say uh, that really momentum really picked up. That hey, although the LSU didn't you know have a, the season that they wanted to have, they had like ended up with three losses and things like that. Um, it was really their defense. It was never their offense that was the problem. Jay Daniels was carrying the offense, and they scored a ton of points. They lost every game that they lost was a high scoring game. Um, so that they that's just kind of how uh, things ended up working out. Their defense just could not stop anybody, uh, and if they could, you know, I, I think LSU would have won a few more games. In all honesty, so uh, then we'd be we have a, we'd be having a, a much different conversation. I think it would be Jaden Daniels would just be the runaway MV would be the runaway Heisman uh, Trophy uh, winner. But uh, yeah, so I, I think it goes to Jaden. I think he's had a phenomenal season, and uh, I think he's earned the award. Um. So, what I'm what before I, I give the voting, what I'm going to be really interested in is after the after everything's said and done, you know, they release the top ten vote getters, and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see because you know Marvin Harrison is a guy that was was not really at the end of the season was not really talked about as as a real contender, and yet he's fourth in voting. So I want to see when, once we get to it where the rest of uh, folks voted because uh, looking back, I, I look back at 2022. You know, you had the four that were in. Uh, New York, you had Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, uh, CJ Stroud, Stetson Bennett. And then behind it in order was Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young, Blake Corum, Michael Penix Jr., B. John Robinson, Drake May finished in, in, in the rest of the top 10 in the Heisman voting. And so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, who else is in that voting. But for me, I'll go back to front. This I'll, I'll go back to front. Uh, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., congrats on getting the invite to New York. Uh, I, I would say fourth. Um, after, you know, going into, uh, the, in, into, uh, championship weekend, uh, I would have had, it, it would have been, uh, a, you know, having to decide between Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels. Um, and then you got on the biggest stage and it, it you know, Bo Nix kind of, kind of fell off a, on that big stage. He's still a phenomenal quarterback. Uh, still, still great talent. Uh, I'd still put him in as a solid third right now. Um, 
and then I'd go back to, you know, you, you look at it. I, I was impressed by Michael Penix's performance all year long. Uh, I was also impressed with his performance in that championship game. He was the Pac-12, uh, the final Pac-12 championship game MVP, RIP, the, the greatest conference outside of the SEC. Um, and then Jane Daniels just did, you know, so much all year. You know, you, you talk about where the team, where LSU could be without him because their defense didn't do him any, any, any favors. Um, and so I, I think that I would would put Jaden Daniels there at number one, uh, Michael Penix right there at number two for for my voting. If if, if I was to have a vote, and, you know, honestly, eight hundred and something people get to vote in the Heisman. I don't know see why we don't. <laughs> I mean, well, we get to vote for SEC stuff, not in the not in the postseason, but in the preseason uh, by going the media days and all that. So we we have some voting privileges, but uh, you know, I I think that that game against uh, Washington for Oregon. Again, Nix was still fine. I mean, it was not like he just was terrible. He was 21-34, and 239. Uh, ran for 69 yards, so had about 300 yards total, three touchdowns and pick. I mean, he was still plenty fine. Uh, Penix played well, but one TD to one pick uh, and 319 yards passing. You know, those were really good performances. But in my opinion, to again, I've said it all year long, that I look at this as most outstanding, not most valuable. So team success is very relative to me, or not very relative to me. Like I just don't I don't think that it is uh, a, a huge deciding factor for me. Uh, and so I will continue as I have for a month, month and a half. I, I would still vote for Jaden Daniels. Now, I think Penix moved nearer to Knicks, but again, I, I don't I'm not too worried about team success and uh, you know, I, I'm still fine with Knicks two and Penix three, uh, and so I, I again that that part of it, I guess we don't have to bicker too much about because again, the most important thing there is the winner. But I, I I think that Daniels just the raw numbers again reminder that he finished third in in, in college football. Not that includes all the conferences. Okay, now, even even your smaller like was there a Case Keenum or a Colt Brennan this year? No. Okay, good. So Jaden Daniels is third behind Pennis and Knicks, who obviously did play the extra game. They were all neck and neck before that game. Uh, 40 touchdowns for Daniels passing, 10 rushing, so he counted for 50 touchdowns in 12 games. But on top of that, while Knicks had some rushing touchdown success, Penix really didn't run much. Jane Daniels was 23rd in the entire country in rushing. He ran for 1,100 yards. He was basically a 100-yard-a-game rusher to go along with an over 300-yard-a-game passer. And that's why I just feel like it has has to go to him. And uh, we have not been bothered in the past by losses. We weren't bothered when it was Manziel. We weren't bothered uh, when it was Robert Griffin III or Tim Tebow's. Actually, his worst team success year was 8-5, and five, but that's the year he won it. We weren't bothered all those years. So I don't really understand why the huge sentiment is we have to pick somebody on uh, on a great team or on an elite team. I mean, th- again, th- this is not labeled as the most valuable player. Now, some might feel that way still, but it's not inherently that. It's not an MVP. It's it's more of a mop, more of a, more of a most outstanding player. So uh, that's why I still go with Daniels. Uh, I'd still go with Knicks with a slight edge on Penix for second. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have personally, you know, I don't think I would have voted Marvin Harrison Jr. fourth, um, but, you know, that whatever. I might have gone Quinn Ewers fourth. I might have gone Gabriel fourth. I so, mean, 
There's been, sorry to interrupt you. Sure, um, go for it. There's been just some kind of discourse around maybe why didn't Jordan Travis get an invite? Because the reason that FSU was left out of the playoff. Well, he got hurt, you know. Right, but the reason that FSU was left out of the playoff was because they didn't have him. And so there's the question of, well, if he's so valuable, you know, potentially, why why wouldn't he be in the Heisman discussion? Well, Cam, don't you know injuries disqualify you from everything? <laughs> like, you, like, no matter what you've done. That's, that's <laughs> so, yeah, again, I, I've... I would not have really joined that discourse, I guess, just because, again, I don't look at it as no, a value I mean, award. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, if, if one does, then certainly you would be uh, you would be in danger of being hypocritical if you went with someone for value on top and then didn't and then put Travis in there and then didn't you know if you if you put Travis in there but then said they shouldn't have been it you know i mean you you would have had some interesting thoughts there but uh yeah no i again i i I, i've i've looked at it as most outstanding and um again i think that those three again harrison's interesting i i don't know if that means that he pulled away from fifth i would have thought these three quarterbacks would have pulled away from everybody else uh so so again that 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 was a little interesting I know that Milrow got some late buzz. We'll see. He probably finished in the top ten. We'll see if it's five or six, seven, eight, whatever. But again, I could have definitely made an argument for the top five for Quinn Ewers or uh, for for Gabriel and any of those guys. Again, this was a really good year for college quarterbacks. And uh, notice I didn't even say the name of who's probably going to be the second and third pick in the draft in Drake May. So I mean, there were a, a lot of really good college quarterbacks this year and it's going to be exciting to see what that voting is like i think i think i don't know i I think this could be a closer vote i think daniels will win it uh but i know that there are definitely some west coast people that were are i can tell you the way they've acted they're just not going to vote for Jaden daniels period uh because they're going to be protective of of that side of the country so uh we will we'll see how the voting works out i do think daniels should win it i do think daniels will ultimately win it but certainly this felt like a strong year for heisman contenders and uh, a lot of guys i agree uh, and and, i didn't even mention the name of the guy that won the heisman last year caleb williams you know i mean he was still like six in the country in passing this year i know i'm not making an argument for ben in new york but i'm saying that the, the quarterbacks were so good this year that williams who still numerically had a fine year was nowhere near the debate by the end of the season because uh, he'd had one or two games that were off of his standard, and, and that was enough to put kind of him behind four, five, six other guys. So I think that, again, tells you that it was a strong year. Uh, there wasn't a lot of running back stuff this year. Ollie Gordon had had a good year from Oklahoma State, Cody Schrader from Missouri, Marion Hampton of North Carolina. but Blake Corum. Uh, Blake Corum, Michigan. Uh, you know, but But never really got into a situation where – uh, any of those guys just separated themselves from the huge running back pack. So, do you think I, there's a defensive player that could have like eked their way into that top ten? Uh, no, I probably not because usually that's that's either a DB that's a ball hawk that may also return stuff or a defensive end that causes ha- uh, havoc and straight up I, I, haywire. You, you need like <laughs> huge numbers for that. Like I remember, I think it was one of the Boses maybe. 
at Ohio yeah. State or or, or Nick. Or, I think it was Nick. Maybe him or some some Ohio State. Oh, maybe it was Chase Young actually. Chase Young maybe did it was Chase there. Young. You Chase right. Young was sniffing yeah. it a little bit, uh, and and so you know I do you not, think not Bro- this year. Do you think Brock Bowers got into the top ten voting? Oh. No, mm. I don't think so. I think I think just the injury you yeah. that. I I I could I could <laughs> say ninth or tenth. Uh, again, him as a player, you might want to move him higher. He's up for but, every other award. Right, seems like uh, yeah. a great 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 player, but again, statistically did not pull off the big season, uh, and it's just hard for a tight end too. And then he also missed a couple games, so I. I I think that I think around the midway point in the year before he got hurt, he probably was sniffing the top five. Like I said, I think he was probably neck and neck with Harrison for that top non quarterback, but I think missing the time and just not having any huge games that I recall the last few weeks. I think somehow uh, Brock Bowers is up for the the Joe Moore Award for the entire offensive line award. An absolute unit there. (laughs) Absolute unit. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we will reveal Sports Call's Player of the the Week. Excuse me, not Player of the Year. Not yet. (laughs) You did a double take. Player of the Week. And along with that, we will discuss some about the playoff teams. No, we will not continue what we've done for three to four days of the show and talk more about the controversy. We'll actually talk about the teams that did make the playoff and their chances of winning the national title in the seasons that they had. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Cam Barry, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday. We'll be getting to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line in just a couple minutes. Before we do that, though, we want to, again, recognize this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Ewers was dominant in Texas's final Big 12 championship game, completing 35 of his 46 pass attempts for 452 yards and four touchdowns to lead the Longhorns to a 49-21 win over Oklahoma State. The yardage smashed the previous record for the Big 12 championship, and the four touchdowns tied the record. With the dominant win, Texas secured its spot in the college football playoff, being announced as the number three seed. Quinn Ewers is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Yeah, that was a big performance to say the least from Quinn Ewers. As uh, they, we talked about last week how perception would matter and how you did something would matter, and obviously it mattered to the committee how much Florida State did not uh, look good offensively, uh, whether fair or foul. But also, what was important is to make sure if you were Texas to beat Oklahoma State by enough to make sure there would be no argument 
last second for Alabama over Texas, even though they had said all along that Texas, that win would hold up. You just never know. But Texas triumphed early and often in that one. Uh, and guys, again, when Quinn Ewers went out of the season, couple closer games for the Longhorns, but when he came back in, they thumped Texas Tech at the end and thump Oklahoma State. And the soon-to-be SEC program wins the Big 12 title in their last year in the conference. Yeah, Quinn Ewers lit it up. Um, uh, I mean, a fantastic game overall. Um, what a way for Texas to go out uh, out of the uh, Big 12 to, to win it and then, <laughs> excuse me, walk off. I think that's the best way to do it, right? Why not? Why not go out on top and then go to a new conference and see if you can continue your dominance? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at this this performance. Uh, he came out and, you know, we, we talked about how last week and uh, we previously talked about in the uh, in the, our Heisman segment uh, last uh, before the break that you had uh, Michael Penix came out and uh, uh, balled out in his championship game. Uh, for the Pac-12, you saw, uh, you know, the Quinn Ewers do the same the next day. The, the very next Power Five game you watched, Quinn Ewers came out, balled out, uh, and was just a phenomenal uh, piece to to get the win. Uh, and you know, it, it was really what was really great about that performance, and what was really uh, notable about that performance is something that uh, was mentioned in in our little commercial there that uh, aired is that. That performance, it was a dominant performance, helped get Texas into that playoff because they were sitting on the outside looking in. Uh, and so you went in there and you you won the game and you dominated that game. You, you won that game in, in dominant fashion, and that showed the the playoff committee. that's was like, yes, we, we deserve to be in here because if they had gone out there, let's say they go in there and they you know eked out a win over Oklahoma State. Cool. You still you won your conference. There's you know there's still a chance that you get in. But if you you know a, a close win over Oklahoma State, that could have left the door wide open for two SEC teams in there. It could have left the door open for you know someone uh, someone else to sneak in. Uh, uh, like a you know it could have left the door open for Florida State to still be in there. It also could have left the, left the door open for potentially them throwing two Big Ten teams in there. I don't know if that would have. Well, that's probably the one that's furthest away. But uh, you know Ohio State was still sitting there uh, in in the top eight, and so. Uh, Quinn Ewers' performance there, four touchdowns, uh, really, really uh, a dominant performance, solidified their spot uh, to get in after you had some other teams uh, fall out. And we'll talk about those playoff matchups in a little bit and, and all those teams and their seasons uh, as we go through the next couple weeks for sure. But Quinn Ewers this week, Sports Call Player of the Week. Let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line now, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 9 Next up, Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Hey, I'm fantastic, guys, because it's Friday. Yes, sir. That's right. And uh, let's have some fun, right? Yeah. Uh, fun with uh, Brian, Brooks, and Cam. Yes. All right, guys. Um, this will be the last comment I hope I make about this nonsense uh, with the uh, playoff uh, teams in the committee. I heard your comments already about Texas and how they beat the crap uh, out of the team they played. Now, I'm convinced, guys, I'm convinced uh, 100% that it wouldn't have mattered that FSU had scored 35 game freaking points to zero against uh, Louisville. They were intent 
on somehow finding a reason not to let Florida State in. I, I don't believe that. If Florida State had won convincingly, if they'd uh, again, we we can still talk about what was fair given what actually happened. But but if Florida State won thirty five to three or uh, looked competent offensively throughout the game, I, I I don't believe that. I don't even know why offense uh, scoring uh, matters any more than they held the defense uh, held uh, their opponent to six to two field goals. Well, why does either one have more weight of value, guys? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's they're just piggybacking off the injury there with uh, Jordan Travis, okay, obviously. Yeah, and yeah. I, again, I, I know Steve, you, you've done this all week, and we've done this all week. And again, it's not the answers are not going to change, and the playoffs not going to change. And I did not bring up the playoff today to get into Florida State Alabama yeah, debate part let's twelve. Get into it. Let's let it go. Uh, although I did see Rick Scott sent a stupid letter, but uh, all right. So guys, one uh, one these uh, particular. Uh, questions and answers that were done to uh, Jason Caldwell, who has a Friday mailbag every uh, Friday on uh, 247 Sports. And one of the questions that was asked uh, of him uh, was, are there uh, some plays that had to be taken out of the playbook because Thorne can't make the throws? Do you think Thorne has an NFL arm? And here's his response. He said it was more about decision-making and accuracy at the moment because of the way teams spread the field. I think Thorne has the ability to play on the next level. Yes. I don't think he would ever be a really high draft pick, but I think he can play with the right system. Now, I don't know, you know, who Jason knows on, uh, on the athletic department, you know, on the football team or how much elevation he gets, but I was struck by those comments, guys. Uh, well, what do you make of that? Would you say the Thorn uh, can make it to the next level in the NFL? Uh, only as a practice squad type of backup. I mean, again, and that's Ouch. that's if that's if if he has a a big year next year, a year that was more comparable to his first at Michigan State. He becomes a 66 percent passer again, two fifty yards, twenty twenty five touchdowns, that sort of thing. Uh, then he might get a look in a preseason roster, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, I, I I don't think that there is a, a high upside there for the NFL. And and by the way, that's not a prereq to a, a successful college quarterback because there's plenty of guys that even throw the ball very well in college that don't get really good shots at the NFL. I'll, get, I'll give you one: Dylan Gabriel is an excellent college quarterback, but I do not think he will translate to the NFL whatsoever. And, and that's not. And again, he's not some big runner too. It's one thing to say a running quarterback won't translate, but uh, Gabriel's a perfectly fine. Uh, uh, perfectly really good uh, thrower of the football, but but he's smaller and there's going to be things that he just are not going to translate as well. So with Thorne, I think that he has more of the body size or, or more of the, uh, I guess, the, the feel there, but I, I think that he would still have to have a huge year next year just to be able to uh, to get to a, a backup situation. And speaking of that, Ryan, uh, you know, we're getting all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, on two four seven sports, all kind of you know people uh, decommitting and looking at us, and we're uh, having uh, apparently you know business some people. Crystal balls being predicted, but what I don't see in these offensive linemen, defensive linemen, uh, safeties, uh, you name it. But what I'm not seeing is any any kind of you know attention or any kind of you know uh, movement towards any of the available quarterbacks, guys. I know we talked about it over the weekend over the past week. And just crickets on the quarterback side. What do you guys make of that? Yeah, again, I've, I've, we've 
we have talked about it, and they have prioritized the high school first. And of the portal guys that uh, you mentioned, that they are looking at a couple other positions. I do think that they are interested in Riley Leonard, but he is taking a visit to Notre Dame. And I, the report with no new information, but the report from earlier this week was Notre Dame or Auburn for him, but likely Notre Dame. And again, everything that has lined up has said that Auburn is not going to be uh, overly active there unless they just absolutely love a guy. So I, again, that this has not uh, not been too surprising for those that reading all the insiders and and thinking about how what the coaches staff is saying. Okay, uh, guy, uh, let me ask you this because uh, I love T. Reed, but this was answered Jason uh, Jason Caldwell today as well. They asked him who are the top three recruiters on Auburn staff, in his opinion. Who do you think he mentioned? Uh, Cadillac? No. Interesting. Uh, I mean, does Freeze, the, does Freeze count as the head coach? No, he, no, no. Uh, okay, Zach Etheridge? Zach Etheridge is one of the three. Uh, Marcus Davis, wide receiver? He's, he's another one. Very good. There's one, one more. Uh, Wesley McGriff, no. No, I thought T. Reed would have been in there, but he, he didn't mention him, although he says he's very good at what he does. Sure, and also it's not as directly impactful from Trevon's side of things. He's absolutely recruiting and that sort of thing, but the position coach that recruits is always going to kind of take priority uh, in that situation. I don't I don't know Thornton. I, I, I don't know. I could just name all the other coaches at this okay. point. Okay. I'll make it easy. Josh Aldridge. Aldridge, okay. I didn't know he was that. Uh, did, were you surprised by that name, or did you uh, suspect he would be in that list? Yeah, I mean, again, that that would be that's too kind of a matter of, of opinion there as well. And uh, I, I I think that they've not talked a lot about Cadillac because Auburn has not recruited a running back uh, so far this year. Uh, and, and Auburn did have a really good linebacking class. So when you're talking about Josh Aldridge, again, he's going to be the one recruiting those linebackers. You get Demarcus Riddick, you get Joe Phillips, uh, Demonte, uh, Demonte Waller would fit into that category as some sort of uh, hybrid there. So, so again, that, that makes sense. I think that we're just kind of looking at it from a one-year cycle. I do think Cadillac Williams is a really good recruiter. Uh, I do think that the work they did to get Damari Alston and then uh, Jeremiah Cobb last year, it's just they don't really need a running back in this cycle because as of now, everyone is staying. Uh, so, so yeah, no, I, I think that uh, those guys are fair, and certainly someone like Aldridge has done a good job. Again, it's it's hard to do get a better linebacking class than what they've got. Okay, let's go to tomorrow's game, guys. Here we go again. We're playing Indiana, and I'm reading this for 247 Sports. And Bruce Pearl says Indiana, quote, the best front line in the Big Ten. Wow. Okay. Uh, I don't even have any clue how good Indiana is not. I know you guys um, didn't think they were that great. Uh, but uh, what? Well, how do we match up with them? I, I So I think that is a little bit of hyperbole because I think that Zach Eady just by himself makes Purdue <laughs> – uh, the better, the best front line in the Big Ten, but Indiana is clearly a team that uh, plays down low. They are not a good three-point shooting team. They don't try to shoot them. They don't shoot them well. They're at twenty-five something, uh, point something percent. Uh, they don't defend the three very well. They are a forward and center-oriented team. They're a big guy as a seven-footer that's averaging seventeen and nine this year. So that's going to be uh, a, a big test for Janai Broom. A very comparable test for Janai Broom. Uh, I think that this game still 
for Auburn, they've just got to shoot better. I mean, they, they, they can't keep stacking these bad shooting performances. So uh, Indiana is a team that it likes to play down low, but Auburn needs to be able to thrive away from the basket. Okay, I haven't I had a chance yet to look at any Vegas lines yet. Uh, have you seen anything, or what would you make it? Uh, I don't know if they've produced them yet because, uh, again, they do it so late. They might have produced one by now, but I just haven't seen it. Uh, you know, I think that I would probably – I don't even know. I think this would be very close to even, honestly. Uh, Indi- really? Indiana is 7-1. and one. Yeah, well, no, we were talking about them earlier. Indiana's only loss is, is a 20-point loss, but it's a UConn, and I can tell you right now UConn's going to beat a lot of teams by 15 to 20 points this year. Uh, so – yeah, I don't know. I, I I really, I don't I don't know if I'd favor Indiana or Auburn. Honestly, it's about a pick them for me. So you say this is going to be a nail biter? Uh, it should on paper. I think yeah. Oh well, how dangerous is this player? Uh, Khalil Ware is that his name. He's seven foot. Yeah, that's He's their seven footer. I was talking foot. about seventeen points, yeah. nine rebounds a game. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, who will he be matched up with? Well, I mean that'll be Broom. I mean that, that yeah, no, they, no one. Else. Not Dylan. Uh, not I mean, Broom and not, not when Broom's not out there, it'll be Cardwell. But yeah, Broom's <laughs> going to play more minutes than Cardwell. So so Janai Broom, and then Cardwell okay. when Broom's not out there. All right, all right, and finally, guys, uh, this came. And I want to get your take on this from a Bleacher Report, and it was struck. They said, "Wow, says live is it LIV live? Is that right?" Live, live golf. Live. Is it live golf? Okay. You're talking about golf, right? I, live golf. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I I thought in my own say it was maybe really correctly that they had gotten together. They were going to be cooperative with each other, no longer being adversarial. And then I see this. Uh, live golf apparently uh, is coaching another elite golfer from the PGA, Mister Who, John Rom. Is that yep, his name? John Rom. Yep. The number three golf in the world. Uh, did you see that? How much they're paying him to, to come up to their side? I believe it was three hundred million. Yeah, not so fast, my friend. Try four hundred fifty million to six hundred million. I thought that was a that was a uh, a rumor. I think it ended up at three hundred million. Three hundred to four hundred and fifty million. Yeah. Okay, I believe yeah. from uh, Bleach Report they said the deal is. Is for a reported four hundred fifty to six hundred million. Oh, okay. No, no, it's three hundred to four hundred and fifty million. Oh, gee, well, okay. It'll and max career, out at four hundred and fifty million. Okay, well, this is the, the, the real shock. His career earnings so far, guys, according to Bleach Report, has been seventy-seven million. I mean, that's yeah. like what seventy-seven dollars to him now, compared to what they're going to be giving him. Yeah, no, it's certainly. Uh, I, I would like either some. I would play. <laughs> I would play for either some. But yes, it's a, it's obviously a huge update. The the thing is, is yes, they were supposed to merge, but that still the tours can still operate separately in a in a merger. You're just kind of under the same umbrella uh, with different the people funding it. So and still kind of hairy on when that will actually take shape. There were still some things to work through. I think they really ultimately got ahead of themselves last year when they talked about the merger, and really there was still a lot of things to iron out. So they're still in the process of that. Well, I suspect this won't matter to, to Mr. Rob. It would probably matter to me. But uh, it's, he's a bit of a hypocrite uh, because I'm reading here that he's already gotten some pushbacks uh, from social media. Apparently, uh, Rob had criticized Liz Turney format and said, quote, he didn't play for money. And this was said in 2022. Were you aware of that? 
I wasn't, but I know a lot of PGA Tour guys had some harsh words back then. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you know, when $300 million to $450 million is on the table, I bet your tune changes pretty quickly. But that's pretty strong words. If you don't really mean it, then don't say it out loud. Because he wasn't going to play for money, but what are you doing now, guy? Well, things change when you get the offer, Steve. Well, okay, but still money, isn't it? <laughs> it's $300 million. Yeah, but I mean, what are, what are you doing? I... Uh, no, I know, I know what you mean, though, Steve. I, I know you, if you're if you're in the realm of of thinking that you could go the other way if the offer ever came to you, then then don't say something so so pronounced about it. No, I understand what you're where you're going. I mean, it's pretty blatant. He doesn't play for money. He just said it last year. It wasn't like he said five years ago, you know. Yeah. No, I know. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm sure. Well, I'm just wondering. You know, does this affect the relationship? You know, um, is going to be uh, some. Push back from uh, the PGA people. Can they do anything about it? Is it a done deal? Uh, I'm, I'm sure the PGA is not thrilled. But again, as I said, I mean, in theory, if you're merging, then it's all kind of under the same big umbrella at some point anyway. So, uh, you know, again, I, I think they definitely would rather him be PGA Tour branded. But uh, depending on how this merger actually shakes out, it could all kind of be uh, in the same realm anyway. Okay. All right, guys, you're going to the game tomorrow. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, and I heard Cam. You didn't. Uh, you have to buy your own tickets. I might. I don't know. I'll I'll be up there, but uh, I, I'm not sure what I'll end up doing. We'll see. Okay, maybe you can't. You sneak in uh, with one and uh, <laughs> the guys. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, you guys have a safe afternoon and evening. I uh, hope you enjoy uh, your time up there in Atlanta. Hopefully, it's an enjoyable game. Uh, we can pull the game out. Yes, sir. Bye, guys. We'll talk to you on Monday. Until then, War Eagle always. War Eagle Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Ward Am Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to hit one more break here in this 4 o'clock hour. Back with more sports call right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress. Well, easy for well, me to say. Cam Barry also on the program here I'm on here. this Friday. As uh, we tank you up until 6 o'clock, as almost always, we do have a few shortened shows coming up in the next couple of weeks because of Beauregard High School basketball. But, uh, again, most of the time, 3 to 6 p.m. few minutes left in this second hour. Again, in hour number three, we'll have more on a, on a bunch of different things, uh, NFL, college football, that sort of stuff. 
Uh, I do want to go ahead and uh, talk a little bit more about these last or about a couple of playoff teams again, not in the debate way as we've done that all week long, but uh, about some of the seasons, kind of recapping a couple of these seasons because uh, you have a situation where these teams kind of start to finish were players and they ended up uh, not having uh, blemishes there uh, at the top with Michigan and Washington. You did have Texas drop one and Alabama drop one, but uh, these teams were kind of involved all year long. They were, again, in position weeks ago, didn't lose for several weeks, and and make it to the finish line here. We'll start a little bit with Michigan because they are number one. What We talked about them a decent <coughs> amount this year, not necessarily for their football acumen, but because of the things going off the field. But obviously, uh, post-Connor Stallion's sign gate, uh, they have continued to win their football games, maybe a little bit closer in some instances, but shut out Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. And now back-to-back playoffs for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. Again, guys, it was not too long ago that we were talking about uh, Jim Harbaugh being in a little bit of trouble and talking about uh, just a, a difficult situation to if they're not going to start beating Ohio State or get Michigan back. And now we're talking about him trying to get out of Dodge because of some NCAA difficulties, but there's also rumors of a contract extension being offered, and uh, just my how things have changed for Michigan in in the last couple of years that Jim Harbaugh's had. Yeah, you you look at this team uh, in in 2023, you start things off without Harbaugh at the beginning of the season, uh, and it didn't look like they had a problem. Uh, You you ran through your your non-conference schedule fairly easily. Um, you, you entered conference play. You ran in through that that first part of conference play really easily through the bye week, um, and then your uh, your biggest test really was that first uh, the, the your first biggest test wasn't until mid November when you went on the road at Penn State, uh, won that one twenty four to fifteen, uh, and then of course that one was without Harbaugh again, uh, and then you you got a, a, a close close win over a, a Maryland team thirty one to twenty four. And then 30 to 24 winners over Ohio State those last three without Harbaugh on the sidelines, and so they've done it with that. They've they've uh, had some adversity to start the year and to finish the year. But uh, the first few games without Harbaugh, the last few games without Harbaugh, uh, the middle you had him and nothing. You know it, they're they're just a very consistent football team. They're they're out there. They're playing hard. Uh, they're winning. And, you know they they just continue to to win football games. Um, you went to that a Big Ten championship against Iowa. Uh, Iowa's got a very good defense, uh, but you their their offense is uh, is non-existent. So you shut them out, uh, got the win, and punched your ticket to the playoff. Uh, the The big thing, though, is a, a question that we've had with Michigan uh, every single time they've made the playoffs, and every single time they've gone and gotten to some of these big games out of big out of conference games is that their offense is still an offense that's not quite caught up to the rest of college football. It's still very much a, a pro-style offense. We're going to hand the ball off. We're going to try to uh, – we've got Blake Corum in the backfield. We're going to try to, to you know, uh, eye formation, uh, single back in the backfield, under center quarterback. You're going to try to go out there and you're going to try to, to bust some heads. Well, when you're, you're up against teams like, like an Alabama or like a Texas – or uh, like like a Washington, those defenses 
uh, when when you look at them and, and they you say, hey, we're going to play in this box. Like, all right, cool. We don't have to cover the whole field. We can go in there and do that. And especially you, you look at that who they're matched up with in that Rose Bowl game. Uh, that's a team that loves when you play against them like that. They're like, yeah, all right, you don't. We've got four big guys on the on the on the defensive line that's about as big as your offensive lineman, and then we've got some linebackers uh, right behind them that are ready to pounce. And so it's. Uh, I, I think that's going to be the biggest question: is can this type of offense with that Michigan runs with Jim Harbaugh can it finally prove that it can beat an elite team outside of the Big Ten, uh, where you still see that offense quite a bit? Well, and look, I mean, they did lose to TCU last year, uh, and we saw. I know you can't do apples to apples. I get it. I'm not trying to necessarily relate that, but. They lose to a TCU team that was capable of being the victims of the worst beatdown I have ever seen for a national championship in my entire life, nor will I ever. Uh, so, again, if they can lose to them in the important stage, they certainly can lose to Alabama team, who, again, I've said for years and years and years and years and years and years and more years and all the years that pro-style teams do not function very well. That, that's not the way to do this. The only times some pro-style teams won, I remember Les Miles was still doing kind of that stuff with Jordan Jefferson. They won 9-6 to six in <laughs> overtime. Awesome. You game had the century. Right. You had a controversial call in that game. All the things that happened back in 2011. And then they played in the title game and LSU did score. <laughs> so, the, so again, that, that was a very rare time where it happened. I guess you could say South Carolina a little bit in 2010 with Steven Garcia, <laughs> pro-style offense. But, again, most of the time, you give – you make it about assignment football for the Alabama and Georgias of the world. They're going to stop it because they have the five-star players. They have the smart coaches. They have the scheme. And they – overwhelm you and you they take you out of your element that's why a team like uh, that, that has far lesser talent like a kentucky never does anything against georgia because at every position georgia is going to be a little bit more athletic so when kentucky tries to run 35 times or they try yeah. to outpower georgia you're not it going to work. outpower georgia and same thing if you're michigan like uh, michigan's really good at what they do they're not some scum team like I mean, maybe they have scum values, but they're not some horrible team. But the thing is, is they don't they don't do anything that concerns Alabama defensively. Like, like they're not they're not looking at JJ McCarthy saying, "Well, he's really dynamic." We haven't seen this. No, they saw Jaden Daniels in this league. Well, like, what was JJ McCarthy going to offer you? Blake Corm's really good, fine, but Alabama's got a bunch of guys destined for the NFL in the front seven. Like they're not going to be able to tackle Blake Corb all of a sudden because they've tackled Quinchon Judkins fine and they tackled the SEC guys fine. So like again, there's nothing that really scares Alabama or Georgia uh, when they play pro style teams and in Michigan specifically. Like their out wide players are fine, but I, sure Michigan's defense will have a few nice possessions and they might be able to come up with some run stops and self, but. I personally don't see Michigan scoring more than 10 to 14 points in a normal game against them. Michigan has played Alabama twice when Nick Saban has been the head coach of Alabama. Once was in, in Arlington, Texas. Shoelace was one of them, Denard Robinson. I would say we remember the uh, the kickoff game in Arlington, Texas. Brady Hoke was the head coach then. 41-14, to 14, Alabama won. I remember that. And then just a few years ago, 2020, they met in Orlando in the Citrus Bowl. Jim Harbaugh was the head coach there. Not quite as bad. 35 to 16, though. 
Yeah. Uh. I, and that's I, honestly, I know that I, <laughs> I know it's a playoff game and I should pick something close, but when we get to time, like that's probably around the range I'm going to think of. Like, hey, Bam won't score like every possession, but they'll score a few times, and Michigan won't not score at all, but they ain't going to score very often. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense for the style of teams, honestly. And so, uh, look, great year for Michigan for sure. I'm not belittling them. They do a great job. But also when you never play a single team out of conference, yeah. you play East Carolina and you play UNLV or <coughs> whoever. Bowling Green. Uh, B- Bowling Green, some action. With all due respect, that's not going to give me confidence in you when it comes time to play these big boys out of conference and in the playoff. But that is the Michigan Wolverines. Again, I, we just trashed them for 10 minutes, but hey, they're the number one team in the country and they're in the playoff. And again, they certainly have turned things around with Jim Harbaugh these last couple of years, so the scouting report says. Anyway, we are out of time for hour number two. Coming up in hour number three, of course, if you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. But more football ahead. We'll talk about the other couple playoff teams uh, as well as maybe have an NFL debate there and college debate more so, too, on the running back versus the wide receiver dynamic and the value of those positions and that sort of thing. And a little bit more on Auburn and Indiana to get you set for Holiday Hoops giving in Atlanta tomorrow. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Cam Berry with you here on this Friday. Hope everyone has had a good end to the work week. Another weekend ahead and looking forward to going up to Atlanta tomorrow for holiday hoopsgiving between Auburn and Indiana. That is a 1 o'clock start time. Two games this year, not four. Uh, what was it? Tulane, Mississippi State, Brooks. Mm. It's the game before it's, Auburn. Is the uh, the setup to the main event? So, and again, I will say uh, that is at ten thirty. Auburn scheduled for one. Do not be flabbergasted if Auburn maybe does not start quite on time. Uh, it depends on the time of that first game. So, if that game goes over two hours, then uh, that will affect the game time just a little bit. But about <laughs> one o'clock. Well, not before. Uh, but one o'clock, one fifteen, somewhere there. What, what what's this being aired on? 
uh, one of the ESPNs. I think it's two. It won't start on time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no, but like, it, it could if it if the first game went okay. But. You know, last year this the holiday hoops giving there was five games Dang. involved in it over two weekends too. It was the they, you had the main weekend. It was Loyola, Clemson, Wake Forest, LSU, Memphis, Auburn, and then Tulane and Buffalo. Uh, was the weekend was the first weekend, and then the next weekend you had Georgia and Notre Dame at the same in, in State Farm Arena. So you went over two weekends and five games, uh, and so we're really kind of a scaled back version this year. Yeah, maybe two they games. bit off more than they can chew last year. I don't, I don't know. That's a that's a big event. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I think the game before Auburn last year was what LSU Wake Four is, is that what it was? We remember us wandering around trying to figure out seating uh, to to really no avail. By the way until after the game started but uh yeah no still should be a good time and that auburn indiana game is important for the tigers we discussed it a little bit in the first hour of the show and we'll talk a little bit more about it right now uh that indiana is a big team and they prefer to play down low auburn has needed to play down low the last couple of games and they've gotten huge deny room performances but unfortunately i mean that is really their own, their only prolific yeah uh threat down there Jalen williams can make that little uh hook shot. shot from time to time and and hallway can get through him these guys they all have their moments but the only guy that can do it for the course of a 40 minute game is broom so they gotta start shooting better indiana uh, is a team that does not shoot it well uh, but got to start to see some shots go in. Got to see a little bit better shot selection from a guy like Aiden Holloway, too, because he, he, he definitely can yeah. take and make the 30-footer. But, again, if you are 0 for 4, you should not be taking the 30-footer. This is a problem with a few guys in the NBA that, that maybe take too many deep shots uh, when they're not hitting them. If you are starting off slow, and I would even say maybe if it's your first one, too, don't don't go as far back as you can, as your range says you can. Try to get an in rhythm jumper yeah. to get going. Uh, so shot selection at this level too is always key. Yeah, absolutely. And and Bruce did mention something about hey, you know, we, I want to get Aiden more into uh, into playing inside, into driving a little bit more, so that it opens up his game a, a little bit more and helps with his three point shooting. Because you don't want him to just end up being one dimensional where he's only shooting the threes, the coming off the screens, pulling the, the threes, and different things like that. So him getting more comfortable driving in in, in games will absolutely help that. But you're right, Ryan. Auburn has got to make their threes in this game i think it'll be the really the the um the key to this game will be will be the three-point shot because again uh indiana does not shoot the three well they do not defend the three well uh so if you're auburn you need to capitalize on that you have some solid three-point shooters on the team aiden can shoot the three well you know that Uh, again i think he does need to get some in rhythm threes instead of pulling the 30 footers like you mentioned um and then uh you know, Denver Jones, another good shooter. Uh, Chad Baker Mazzara, another uh, quality shooter that you're expecting to kind of hopefully get a little bit better of a rhythm. Uh, and then also uh, Trey Donaldson, who I said earlier in the show, is an underrated three-point shooter. That that dude can shoot some threes, man. He, he really can. Uh, you know, I, I know he doesn't – He he's efficient when he does it, um, and I, I think he should shoot shoot them a little bit more in all honesty um, because he, he does tend to make his threes pretty, pretty uh, consistently. Um, and so I'd like to see that more often. 
So you've got guys that can make your threes, and then obviously you know KD comes out, comes off, and you know he's a he's a spark uh, on the bench, uh, coming off the bench, just the way that he plays. Um, so he can make some threes sometimes as well, and and get get things going as well for the offense. So the three point ball is going to be absolutely pivotal. Uh, you can't obviously let. Uh, Indiana, who, like you said, is not a good three-point shooting team, uh, start to tee off on that side of the ball uh, or on on from outside the arc, uh, and you don't want to play into their game because, like you said, Ryan, they're an inside team. So uh, if you're just feeding things to the inside multiple times, that's playing into the way Indiana wants to play. They like to slow the slow the pace down and get the ball to the inside and uh, and and really just work it in there and and get to the foul line and uh, and feed it to their big guys. Uh, excuse me. So. I think uh, you you gotta really push the tempo, play fast like Auburn likes to play anyway, and uh, and you know create some turnovers here and there, and and uh, really start teeing off on your three point shot. Gotta gotta make some threes, man. Uh, it's it's gonna be absolutely important and necessary. And again, for the resume's sake, this game might ultimately yeah. matter more than the USC game yeah. coming up next week because the USC game will be at home. I'm not saying you can't just go and. Expect to win that, no, no, no questions asked. But uh, at home, I mean, again, that changes the math and the net rankings and that sort of thing. And in a way, I, I hate myself for talking that much about net rankings this early in the year. But when you are a team that is not necessarily just a sure thing for the tournament, and I know that there have been some positive signs early, but again, I can't call Auburn at this point a sure thing for the NCAA tournament. There are very few teams that are at this point in the year. Uh, you know, then you have to think about the, the sum of the parts. And you know that you will have a lot of opportunities in SEC play, but it's even better for a committee to go uh, and look at something that happened when it was on your own volition. You went out and scheduled something different. You went out and scheduled something challenging. And we talked about earlier that just unfortunately – uh, a team like Notre Dame most years, that's a quality win. They were a tournament team more years than not under the Mike Bray administration. That's not who they are right now. They're not any good. Uh, St. Bonaventure is not that good. And then we'll see about Virginia Tech. So Auburn has a chance to get, although they may not be quite as good, a more of a Baylor-type win. It's on a neutral, field, uh, neutral court, excuse me. Uh, and Indiana, that name will always carry weight in the sport. Uh, it's an opportunity in Auburn, especially on the heels of losing to App State. This is more this is more of a need thing than it, than it is a want thing. If Auburn had beaten App State, uh, then then you just split Indiana USC going your way. But uh, you you lose the Indiana, and Lord forbid you do lose the USC too, and you're at, what would that be five and four at that point? Uh, yeah, that's not exactly the non conference resume that's going to be. Uh, swooned over by the NCAA tournament committee. So, again, just setting it up that uh, at the very minimum you need to win one of these next two, but really uh, you'd love to have both since you did lose to Appalachian State. Uh, final thoughts from you, Brooks, on the game. What like the individual that might matter most to you in the, in the 
on the Auburn side of things tomorrow? I think it's going to be uh, – I think the individual that's going to matter the most is going to be Jani Broom like he has the last couple games. Uh, I think he's going to have to have a, a big game, not just offensively, but we talked about it. Uh, Kim, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, we brought it up with uh, when Steve called in a little bit earlier. But uh, when he's, he matched up against uh, Ware uh, down down low, it, it's going to be a pivotal matchup, and that, that could be what what, uh, what defines the game is who t- who who has the advantage in that matchup between Ware and, and Broom. And so I think that Jani Broom has to come out and have another big game, uh, and especially because, you know, he, he's a guy that's been one of the most consistent performers for Auburn this year. He's had, some, he's had a few big games uh, in this early portion of the season. Even when Auburn hasn't won uh, a game, uh, like like you look on uh, on Sunday, he had 21 points for the Tigers in a losing effort to App State, and so he was still you know over 20 points, uh, well into the double digit scoring in a game that the the rest of the team didn't really get off the ground uh, in in the scoring category. So I think that Janai Broom is going to have to have a big day, uh, and then you know a, a bonus player. I think that you got to have a guy like Aiden Holloway kind of snap out of this the, the slump he's in. Or maybe get a Denver Jones guy going uh, in in this game. I think somebody like that needs to uh, needs to step up and kind of kind of shake off the rust there and shake off the the funk a little bit in, in this one. Auburn and Indiana coming up tomorrow, one o'clock or thereabouts, uh, inside of State Farm Arena for Holiday Hoops, giving big opportunity for Bruce Pearl's team to get a big non-conference win on a neutral four. We're going to head to our next timeout. Back with more sports call right after this. Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday. Starting to get to the latter moments of the show for the day and for the week. Uh, I did want to loop for just 30 seconds back around to Shohei Otani because we didn't ever talk about the biggest story in MLB free agency. And Future Atlanta Braves Shohei Otani. Oh, not again. Okay, Keep He's it going. not going to be a Brave. And if he is, then I'll gladly eat crow, but he's not Stop going to be Stop crushing great. my dreams. I don't dream about it. Dream about something else. <laughs> At this uh, point, I'm just trying to fuel the, the, the uh, Cam's dream, uh, dreams. Dream about like a very decent seventh-inning reliever. How, how about that? That's going to get you a big strikeout in October. Uh, so they tried to say a few hours ago, because woke up this morning, a couple. I think John Morosi of MLB Network, 
who's usually pretty reliable, to be fair, said that an Otani decision was imminent. And it was coming today at some point. And then someone, I didn't see who, said Otani is flying to Toronto. Yeah, I read No that deal well. done, but flying to Toronto. To which everyone had a panic attack, <laughs> including Bob Nightingale, who I can't stand, by the way. He won't say the, the Braves name because he thinks it's... It's uh, it's racist. That's what he, he thinks about the Atlanta Braves Ooh. name. And so he, he calls them Atlanta. So I can't stand Nightingale. But he said, and then about four other reporters say, that there is not a plane with Shohei Otani no. on it going to Toronto. Dub- doubling up on the knots. This is not happening. He is in his Southern California home. To which I absolutely adore this tweet from Roger, Roger Sherman because we absolutely do the flight tracking in college football. <laughs> but he says flight tracking doesn't work as well for non-college football sports because college football places are more specific. There are a million reasons someone might fly from L.A. to Toronto, but exactly one reason why someone might fly from State College, Pennsylvania to Starkville, Mississippi. And it, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, there are a lot of college towns still. There's some there's some schools in big areas like Southern Cal and, and University of Miami, et cetera. But some of these schools, you're just not up and going to Starkville for nope. for many reasons, especially not from one college town to the other, right, too? Like if someone's right. going from Oxford, Mississippi to Columbia, South Carolina, like, okay, that's interesting on the surface. and. Uh, there are plenty of other examples. So the Otani stuff is getting into the uh, hysteria stage, to say the least. And we don't know where he'll end up. There's some Dodgers. There's some Giants. There's some Blue Jays. I've not heard much about the Angels. But uh, it's a it's it's an interesting moment because MLB has had, and I'm, I know I'm maybe going to start making this bigger thing than it is, but MLB has had this thing where the biggest stars in the sport, for the most part, have been some of the quietest stars in all the sports. Like Mike Trout was not is does not try to take advantage of marketing. He just likes yeah. to play baseball. Like this is what he does. And uh, there are guys like Otani who he could have made. Like the media is trying to cook this into a, spe- a spectacle, but Otani's camp literally does not want anything reported. Like, like yeah. he does not want to know that he's having dinner with so and so, and so you know, like <clears throat> they're big on. Like, and on sometimes privacy. in the NBA, it's like you know, Durant's having dinner with Drake tonight, nice. and Drake likes the Raptors. He does. So maybe he's going to go to Toronto, or maybe Drake's trying to get something involved with another <laughs> team. And it's like. <clears throat> It's just everything's cooked up, yeah. and you know about every move they make. Right. But everyone's trying to speculate with Otani, who is the biggest name in the sport because or right now because of his two-way status, and it's just it's a very fascinating process, and I don't know where he'll end up, but I'm also getting just as entertaining by entertained right now by people trying to think that they know something about this when, again, at the very uh, beginning of free agency, Otani's camp said, and I repeat – we will not talk about anything free agency related. Yep. So these people are not really getting them getting these sources on good authority. It's just <laughs> like they literally said that teams would be held like things would be held against teams if yeah. if they recorded it. Like if it was recorded. That, and that's why he will be a Tampa Bay Ray. <laughs> <laughs> no one's mentioned the Rays. Right. <laughs> they don't have the money for that. Uh 
this is this is what the athletics owner has been saving up for all these yeah, years. Yeah, it's a ballpark and an Otani. I, uh, I think the best part that's come out of this is that we found out that Otani has a dog. The the, sure. the picture that came out a couple weeks ago, it was it was him sitting on his couch with his with his dog. And oh, I was that like, was this for is, the MVP conversation. Yeah, I was MVP like, that's the thing, greatest right? thing that's happened for the the free agency thing is that we found out he has a dog. Shout yeah, Otani, known dog guy. <laughs> So we'll see where he and his family and dog end up going in free agency. But again, that's another another opportunity in, in baseball where big names potentially shifting teams are going through free agency and it's not just quite the um not quite the big marketing campaign that, that it could be in could have been in other sports. Uh let's talk some more now. Let's talk, go back and I wanted wanted to get to this conversation today. I know we Still owe a couple playoff teams some chatter, and we'll certainly have time to do that in the coming weeks too. I uh, wanted to get to the a little bit of the debate going on in the NFL right now, which also makes me have a piggybacking debate as well. So, are the Patriots for real? You know, I don't think many are debating that, and are if the they are. For real? Again, I don't think more would debate that, but still not a, a mass sum. Uh, so I debate it every day. Well, uh, okay, up here, just, uh, it's just okay, a constant. Thing. Um, so the debate is contrary to these two's belief. Uh, belief is is there a opening here for a non quarterback to win MVP? And I think that there should be, but it is such a quarterback driven award now because the quarterback is the most important position but we have the dynamic we've we've always needed for this because in Miami right now Tyree Kill on pace for a 2000 yard receiving season clearly offers something that is different it's not and I don't mean I, I'm not criticizing these players when I say this but it, it's not just like a run of the mill like Jamar Chase, so it's just he's really good. Like generically, really good. He's really good at some things. Tyreek Hill has something special in his speed. That's yeah, generational stuff. That again, <laughs> yeah, that's unique to this period of time, and no one's quite like that. And yeah, there's a couple guys that might run as close in a straight line, but they don't get open. They don't catch the ball. They don't make the plays. Have the timeliness that all that he does. And so he's on this 2,000 yard pace. Yet we've maintained the ability to not put Tua in the MVP conversation, which is usually rare for a situation where their wide receiver is having a huge year, but their running backs are all good. It's just such an offense that everyone's doing everything yeah. that it's not gone over uh, overboard with, okay, well, now Tua's just playing like the best quarterback in the league. But yet, Tyreek is still, for most people, not the top two or three in MVP discussion. It continues to be... Jalen Hurts because the team's good, but not necessarily because he's doing anything that he didn't do last year. It continues to be Brock Purdy, who went through a rough stretch, is playing better late. But again, everyone will talk about the weapons that he has. Uh, maybe a, a scent of Mahomes, although I think that's died off with a couple recent losses. But again, you look at Mahomes' numbers, they're good. They're good quarterback numbers, but they're not anywhere near what he usually does. And you just say to yourself, why is this not the year? that someone like Tyreek Hill could win the award. So I want to talk a little bit about that, and then I also want to talk to you guys about the value of running backs versus wide receivers. 
because normally, um, just about any other year, unless it is a Jerry Rice or Calvin Johnson or something, something generational, we would be saying, what kind of running back can you cook up with that, that could win MVP? Uh, because obviously several MVPs have been running backs in, in the National Football League. So, and we, we had a good discussion in the summer about the value of running backs. So, piggybacking off of Tyreek Hill and his candidacy to try to win MVP, what is more valuable in general to you, not only in the NFL, but in, in college football and just in football, the running back position or the wide receiver position? Okay. All right. So, so I'll start off by saying that, yes, I agree with you that this is a year – Ryan, where there, there truly could be uh, a, an MVP that is not a quarterback because, you know, I, I just I, no quarterback is truly standing out. Right. Right now, it's like Brock Purdy's the favorite. And it's like, uh, eh. but I would lean more Christian McCaffrey and, and I'll get into that in a minute. But I'll lean more Christian McCaffrey than I would. Brock Purdy because of how that offense functions. Um, and then, you know, Tyreek Hill, who's on pace for, like you said, like 2,000 yards. Like that's something that's never been done, if I if I recall correctly, in a season. So that that's something – that's history. That's historical things. Um, you know, uh, you, know, you kind of – the MVP – I almost feel like the MVP and the Heisman now are type – are kind of like hand-in-hand hand where they're both like quarterback awards. And so I think – I think Tyreek would have to have like a Devonte Smith type of season where Devonte won uh, won MVP or won the Heisman as a wide receiver for Tyreek Hill to ha- to win MVP as a wide receiver uh, in the NFL that that type of season he'd have to have which he's on pace to do so I I don't see why there wouldn't be a year like like this year for for uh, Tyreek to really have that opportunity now uh, talking about value I still. I, I still think that I value uh, a wide receiver more than running back. Um, I, I as much as I do think that most running backs deserve the money that they get, um, and maybe that there just needs to be a change in how their their contracts are structured and things like that once they're drafted. Um, but wide receivers make such a difference. Like you can tell, a, a real prime example in my opinion is the Eagles. They traded for A.J. Brown and gave a true number one receiver to Jalen Hurts, and it opened up their offense immensely last season. They were still a run-heavy offense, really, last year. They, they I mean, they were a, a top-rushing offense last year um, and are a top, a top you know, uh, above-average rushing off- offense this year. But that, that, uh, that threat of having a true number one wide receiver is really unspoken. I, I value a wide receiver that's, that can win one-on-one or beat their matchup or, or get open in any type of facet of, of the game over uh, a running back because you can scheme – as long as a running back runs hard and really can really read uh, read blocks and things like that, they can really get to their spot. Now, you know, a matter of staying up and and balance and things like that. There's a there's obviously a talent gap there, but most running backs you can really you can really put them in a situation where they'll be successful. I mean, even even looking at just Kyle Shanahan's system, McCaffrey highly enhanced that running system because he's so good, but 
You could, I mean, they for the longest they had a slew of running backs where they had a rotation because they all worked well. You know, they had Elijah Mitchell, they had Raheem Mostert, they had, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I slipped my mind just now. They had another guy that was pretty good, um, but you know, a, a rotation of running Elijah backs. Elijah Mitchell. Um, Elijah Mitchell. They had Raheem Mostert for a second there. Then there was one more guy. I, I just can't remember it off the top of my head. But guys that were good that 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 could get. I mean, just that we're able to be schemed open and not to say that. I mean, obviously Raheem Mostert, but again, that's another system down in Miami that schemes running backs open so well that you, you know, you don't really have to, uh, you know, schemes the holes and things like that so well that you don't really have to really um, try as hard to really stay up and things like that. So it, it, it makes it easier on the running back, whereas being a wide receiver, it's still it's so hard to win one on one. Uh, and it takes a lot of talent to win one-on-one, which is why I think Tyreek Hill is so valuable uh, to the to the Miami offense. Uh, so that that's kind of where I stand on the discussion. Um, I would I would throw again. I would still throw Christian McCaffrey in there as a as an MVP because he is so good. He's a thousand yard rusher already, and he brings so much to the table in terms of the offense. He's good at run blocking. He's good at, at catching the ball. Uh, he's good in space. He has great balance, uh, and he really just brings another. Dimension mentioned to the uh to the san francisco offense uh that like i said highly highly um highly uh enhances what they have going on and so yeah that that's kind of where i stand on it i think the the door is open for a tyree kill uh to to be a player in this mvp category or mvp discussion this year because all the quarterbacks are hurt. Everybody's just getting hurt all year long. I mean, you you got some really good quarterbacks out there. You got Dak Prescott playing well, Brock Purdy's playing well, Jalen Hurts, Mahomes, uh, Tua, uh, Lamar Jackson are all playing well. Uh, but you know, you, you look at it. Everybody else is hurt. I mean, I, I you you look at another. You know, other than. Uh, those guys, Josh Allen hadn't had the the year that we thought he was going to have. Uh, Trevor Lawrence just got hurt. Uh, Jordan Love's and uh, kind of entered those discussions, but it's he's still way way back in the back in the pack. Plus the the way that uh, Green Bay started the year is is you know is not a not positive. Um, C.J. Stroud could be there, but. I think a lot of people are going to throw, you know, rookie of the year to to Stroud instead of uh, and and keep you know not not put have him high up in that MVP race. So, I think a guy like Tyreek Hill, uh, if, if he continues to to do what he's been doing so far this year, I think he's he's uh, very much in the conversation. Um, just again, just because some of the top quarterbacks are either having a down year, uh, i.e., a Josh Allen, or you you've got uh they're they're hurt they're getting hurt and they're they're just not able to be out there on the field um and so i i think there's a there's a real chance for for hill to be to to really really be in that uh that category especially if the dolphins keep winning football games uh and Tua keeps throwing him the ball um you know it, when it comes to which what i think is uh is is between running backs and wide receivers what what i think is more valuable right now I'm on a foot. I, I, I'm a fan of a football football team that doesn't have either. They don't. They don't have either. I, to be honest, they don't have a quarterback or an offensive line. They don't have an offense. Is is what we're trying to get to. So if if you'd like me to to let you know what is most valuable, I'd say anything on the offensive side of the ball is most valuable at this point. Um, I I think you know you, you look at it 
if you've got a good running back, you, you know, you've seen in the past few years, if you've got a really, really good running back, you've seen teams like uh, Tennessee uh, that have been able to put the put the ball in the hands of a Derrick Henry and kind of dominate uh, the line of scrimmage and, and is able to run, uh, just run over people. I think that's that's really, really valuable. Uh, although, and you, you look at it, you know, you could piece together, you could piece together a wide receiver core, uh, you may not have that that number one star breakthrough guy like an Odell was a few years back, um, like a like a Devonte Adams is, uh, like a Tyreek Hill is, uh, but you can piece together good wide receiver cores uh, with uh, some lower ones, some twos, um, but you you would have to have a a pretty decent quarterback. So I really think it it comes down to you know your your style of offense really which which, which is more valuable um it because if if you don't have a, a good running back if you throw the if you got a good wide receiver a good wide receiving core and you throw the ball that's going to open up the run game for even a even a number 2 back if you if that if a number 2 back is your number 1 back uh you start throwing the ball it can it can open things up in in uh out there for or it can open things up uh down low for your, for your guys to run the ball through so i think there's there's merits to both arguments of the conversation um i just want the patriots to have skill players i just want somebody <laughs> You're in pain over there. Uh, no, I can feel it. I was He's not so dealt mad. with this for like his whole life. Welcome well, to yeah. it. Cam, last night, I told Ryan this earlier in the office, was the the <laughs> maddest I've ever been at a football game that my team won. I've never been more mad. I was up pacing, uh I was I was yelling. I was I was going I was going through it. And and my wife was out last night. Uh, it went out and had some drinks last night. She texted me and she was like, Hey, I'm going to be out a little bit later. Is that okay? And I'm like, you don't want to be in this apartment. right now, <laughs> So that's great. I've never, I would love to see how intense you get for during. Oh, he's, game. he's, I've I, never, I think seen he's Brooks. as bad as me. He really? might be worse. I've than never me, seen. I'll Brooks tell you what. I'm these, be very intense. Brooks, you're, I, I consider you a pretty mild guy. And, and so I, I would love to see you during a And I'll tell game. you this. What Ryan has seen is also my tone down. Like, I can get rowdy. And I can get, like, <laughs> I if I'm around people, I definitely tone it back a little bit more than if I'm, I'm at home uh, watching it by myself. Grace has seen a little bit of it. I don't think she's ever seen what happened last night. The yeah. cat the cat did sleep through it, though, so she was fine. Uh, that cat deserves to be. That cat, yeah. Anyway, I need uh, to film myself one day, just like have Grace film me, so I don't know I'm being filmed, yeah. and just show you guys what, what it's like. Yeah. Oh, they did that. To, uh, JJ did that to me one time. It was the Bucks Monday Night game that they lost to Pittsburgh. I think it was like 2018, maybe 19. Played a Monday Night game. It was the game that Chris Conti got uh, stiff armed in the Middle Earth by a Steeler oh, yeah. by one of their tight ends. See, everyone remembers that. So yeah. it was that game, <laughs> and I. I I did not know that I got was getting recorded and I had gone on a tangent. I was just like, just throw the ball out of bounds. If there's three people by every receiver, just throw it away one time. Obviously, you think you figure out who I was talking about. Um, and so anyway, I just 
Oh, yeah, I, that, that he he can get up I, there too. He can I, get up there too. And I feel like That's when funny. when I'm when I'm watching a game with people, I can be rational about things, right. and I can be like, if if there's a pass interference on my team, I feel like if I'm, I'm around other people, you know, I'm, all right, you know, that was that was clearly pass interference. Sometimes I get irrational. Like last night, I was getting irrational. <laughs> they didn't call a penalty on Pittsburgh till the second half, and it was a false start on their punter, and I l- was livid. Uh. I was livid. <laughs> And I'm, objectively, I think they played a good, uh, a clean football game. Yeah. But every little thing that could have been, like, I'm like, you could have called that. I, right. I, I got, Ar- I got irrational. Uh, I'm sorry to take, your, take no. us off subject. No, you're great. Uh, you're having a fun Friday or you're having stressed funny. Friday. I don't know. Uh, I think that we have gotten to the point, And if you heard this conversation that we had in the summer, this is not going to shock you where I lay on this. I think we've gotten to the breaking point where wide receivers are more important than running backs. Yes. Uh, I think that just just look at it this way, and I, I'm not trying to get into a big discussion on the merits of it and that sort of thing, but <coughs> just just look at the perception of when a team drafts a running back in the top 20, uh, top 10, which is rare. I just First, how rare it is, and then second, when it happens – Versus when a wide receiver is drafted there and how often that is. Marvin Harrison's going in the top five. He might go top right. three. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? But if you take any running back, and yes, the class is going to be a little weaker this year, but you take any running back, Corum, whoever, if you take him anywhere near the top ten, we're, all of us are going to have to have a conversation about let's justify that. Whether it was Bijan right. or whether it was no. Jameer Gibbs last yeah. year, everybody was like, "I don't just." Yeah. Uh, and so, but when you take a wide receiver, it's never that conversation. So I think that's sign number one, and then sign number two is that again we go back into the discussion we had in the summer. Tell me the time that the great running back actually leads you all the way now, whereas. I can at least say with wide receiver that with the wide receiver core, maybe it's not just one of something, but with a core, you can say, well, that that group carried them, that mm-hmm. quarterback, just as much as a running back carried. Mm-hmm. Because other than Derrick Henry, who, again, is an anomaly in his own right, right. you know, McCaffrey couldn't carry the Panthers that very far. No. Uh, in fact, a couple of years, they weren't any good, period, as they, as they waned in the end of the Cam mm-hmm. Newton tenure. Uh, Saquon Barkley cannot carry the Giants through average Daniel Jones. Like he can't, they can't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, And so McCaffrey is great now with San Francisco, but everybody they put into that scheme, it's the scheme more than an individual player. Uh, Although they have plenty of great individual players. Debo Samuel's awesome. Like, again, these guys are awesome. But the wide receiver that I see when we talk about Tyreek Hill, and this is why I would vouch for him as most valuable right now. Just watch him catch a, a seven-yard curl and just see how much longer the play takes. It's insane. Because the play will take four to five more seconds after he catches the ball, and he will get 10 to 15 more yards. Yep. And that's, and that's value in a receiver. When a receiver can make a 10-yard play of 20, can win the 50-50 ball, can, can take care of an iffy decision or an iffy throw by the quarterback and make it look like the right one. And so, look, the quarterback – this is not an argument to say receivers actually getting close to quarterback. No, of course the quarterback's the most valuable. But wide receivers can still add so much life to a quarterback's career. Look at what A.J. Brown made Ryan Tannehill look like. 
Like, again, I know that Der- Derrick Henry was there. Right. But Tannehill was looking competent for a couple of years. The minute A.J. Brown leaves and the trade yes. that you were talking about for Philly last year, Tannehill falls off a cliff. His yes. career's over now. Now we're, now we're in the Will Levis time yes. in Tennessee. And so the wide receivers do influence absolutely and add to it just as much, if not more. Again, Alvin Kamara, I still think, is a top seven or eight running back in the I league. Yeah. I don't think it, New Orleans gets helped by <laughs> – does much to do with anything there. Yeah. You know, again, Derek Carr's an average to below average quarterback. They have really good weaponry on wide receivers. Everything's kind of wrong there. Kamara cannot actually elevate it as good as he is. Yeah. Uh, and so I've gotten to the point where I think it is more on wide receivers as being a little bit more valuable, and I think it does get borne out in the way that we draft now and uh, in in seeing what a, a performance like this from Tyreek Hill can mean to Miami. Uh, because, again, we're able to walk this tightrope where, yes, he's getting all these yards, but we're not really giving Tua a yeah. lot of the praise, and maybe we should get a little bit more praise. <clears throat> but uh, I've gotten to that point, so that's why I would say, yes, I think Tyreek Hill – would probably be my number one right now, to be honest with you. Uh, and then on top of that, I think that especially in the pro game, these wide receivers are just so it's so important to have a Justin yeah. Jefferson or a Jamar yeah. Chase and a true and, game changer at that yeah. position. Uh, and true again, game changer at that position. Sure, like I shut like again. I think that I, I'll use my my team situation a little bit too. I think that for Mike Evans to be able to have a thousand yard receiver no matter or be a thousand yard receiver no matter who the quarterback is, like that's a clearly valuable player that would help a lot of different teams. And Mayfield, I don't think it's a secret that he's now looking at least somewhat confident because he's got Mike Evans now. Like yeah. Mayfield Mayfield there's there's a few quarterbacks in this league. There's a Mahomes, a Rogers, uh, a Burrow maybe uh, maybe a Josh Allen. There's five, six, seven guys in the league. The gr- truly great quarterbacks can elevate others. Yeah. And then there are yeah. the, the eight eight to maybe 18 or 8 to 20. Uh, from the eighth best to like 20th best. They all – they'll take what you can give them. You give them a good yeah. receiving core, they'll get great results. Kirk Cousins. Right. Like you get Kirk Cousins a great receiving core, he's going to look pretty good. If he yeah. did not have great receiving core, he would not look like much of a starter. Agreed. So the, the middle of the league, uh, if you give them bad, they're going to be bad. If you give them great, they're going to be great. They're going to be pretty good. And then the bottom 10 or 11 guys, it doesn't really matter what you have. It doesn't really matter if George Pickens is really good. Like, Kenny Pickett does not look good on a week-week basis. It just does not matter. And there are other examples of that, too. So, uh, it, Jets. I think the Jets have a perfectly fine receiving core. It's not awesome, but it's certainly fine. And it does not matter who they put out there. It's Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, God almighty, Tim Boyle. It's just uh. like, there's none, none of that. None of that is any good. So, my point is that, again – Quarterback being most valuable, yes. But if you are not one of the seven or eight best guys in the league, you need the elevation of those yeah. receivers. And, and, and I mean, yeah. even and I mean, even Stephon Diggs elevated Josh Allen's I mean offensive uh, game because he has that true number one that he's able to rely on. So I mean that that helps every quarterback. I think so. I, I agree. I, I think I think that wide receiver position is just so much more valuable now. I, I think it. Uh, I think I think it's major that you you just have to have that true number one. I think it opens up the entirety of an offense. Yeah. Uh, again, I again I just I, think that that's the way that when you when you do more of something and and we never pass yeah. more than we do now in college. Would you say it's any different? Could you? I mean, I I, I think you can make a better argument for running yeah. backs in college yes. because the skill, right. of, again, the skill of quarterback from from team to team 
it fluctuates just enough to where running backs can take you to great places. Again, you, you would look around the country, though, and you'd look at all the best teams and you'd say, well, other than Michigan, because Michigan's pretty balanced, and they've got a really great running back. Right. Well, I think that Washington's good because of their quarterback. I mean, I know there's other reasons, so I'm not trying to dumb it down on one thing, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the top reason, I think it's their quarterback. Yeah. Texas, I think it's their quarterback. Alabama, I think it's their defense, but on offense, I think it's their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, with Florida State, clearly everyone thought it was their thought quarterback. It was their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so you go up and down the line, you know, Georgia's great defense and that sort of thing. So maybe not Carson Beck, but Carson Beck, I think, is the best Had thing a they good have season. Yeah. outside of Brock, Brock Bowers on For their sure. team on offense. Uh, and again, just go up and down the line, Oklahoma. Uh, North Carolina, any any of these great, any of these top twenty five, top thirty teams. I shouldn't say North Carolina; they're not, they're trash. They're not a good team. No. Uh, but uh, Dylan Gabriel, absolutely. Uh, and so, I, I again, it's just the way the game's gone, and it doesn't mean you can't benefit and get something out of these guys and these running backs. But uh, the college debate would be more, would be a little closer because again, you, you don't necessarily have the dude wide receiver. Right. If you're talking, uh, I think, again, it's clear about the quarterback being most valuable in college still, but running back and wide receiver, it's like, okay, well, I just named a bunch of teams, but like, okay, does, why, I mean, does, I guess Alabama has two pretty good receivers in Bond and Burton, but is that what makes them more no, than running? Think, yeah. You know, like it yeah. just, uh, it, it would get more debatable at the college level. Yeah. And uh, that, that would be worthwhile too, but, yeah, it's just it's the way the pendulum has started to sh- uh, change, and I think again that's why going all the way back to the original point, Hill needs a little bit more more love there at the yeah. top of the MVP discussion. Yeah, I, I agree. I and I okay. I will say just bringing it back to a quarterback. I think that Dak Prescott has a case for MVP. I okay. personally think he has a case. He's been playing very well this season. Fifth in yards, got got three thousand two hundred thirty four yards. First in touchdowns, twenty six. Um, back passing touchdowns, six interceptions, uh, so not a lot there. And second in QBR at 75.4. So <clears throat> I think he has a case. The Cowboys are 9-3 and three right now, you know, um, so I, I think he has a case. He, okay. You know, not not, not – yeah. I just – That case will be made playing. stronger or lighter depending on this weekend because they got Philadelphia on I Sunday. agree. That will be a big game. Yep. It'll be a big game for sure. Final – Final couple minutes of the show today, boys. Already uh, hard to believe we're already here, but time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Light on the sports tonight, so we've got three movie picks for you. Plus, I'll give you a bonus streaming pick for you. How about that? Uh, start start off the holiday season, 7 o'clock on AMC. It's Elf, the Christmas classic starring Will Ferrell. Uh, also at 7 o'clock on FX, if you look for something more uh, for the kiddies, uh, The Incredibles. Disney's The Incredibles on tonight. Also at 7.20 on Freeform, another kid's uh, movie f- uh, flick for you, Frozen, uh, another Disney film. And then your uh, bonus streaming pick for the evening, Disney Plus. We watched, me and my me and Grace watched this a couple weeks ago when we were decorating the tree. But The Santa Claus with Tim Allen, always a, a holiday classic, uh, streaming on Disney Plus. So go watch that on streaming. Sports picks for you tonight, as I said, it's a little light tonight, 7.45. 
live on ESPNU. The men's college soccer NCAA College Cup semifinal game two uh, between Oregon State and Notre Dame. Game one is happening right now between Clemson and West Virginia. Winners of the two games tonight go on to play for the national championship on Sunday evening. Uh, 8 o'clock on ESPN2, you've got some college football action from the SCS playoffs. The quarterfinals are here, and it's Furman, 10-2, and two, visiting Montana at 11-1. and one. It's going to be a little chilly out there at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Uh, and then, of course, 9 o'clock on ESPN tonight. Some NBA action to finish off your evening. The Los Angeles Clippers head to the mountains to take on the Utah Jazz. And that is your Nautilus TV Guide brought to our friends at Wakeville Hard Seltzer. No good Clippers. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter that none of those players on the team anymore still no good Clippers. Thank yeah. you very much for that, Brooks. I hope uh, you have a great next, I won't lie to you, uh, 16, 17 hours. I'll see you. We'll go up to Atlanta, have a good time. Otherwise, for the sake of this show, we'll see you again next week. That's right. And Canberry, thank you for being here today. I hope you Absolutely. have safe travels to and from Atlanta this weekend. Yes, I hope you have a good time. We'll see you again next week. Yeah, I hope you guys have a great time at the game. See you guys next week. Yes, sir. Thank you. We appreciate it. That will do it for the show today and for the week. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Canberry and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again on Monday.